0: This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Joining me for this special retrospective episode of the podcast are six longtime listeners. Television director Norman Buckley in Hollywood, California, art professor Timothy Hull in New York City, and a roundtable of longtime Twitter followers, novelist Michael Walters in Yorkshire, England. Victoria Hall on Whitehead Island in the Bay of Fundy, Peter Stuart lackanen in Tallahassee, Florida, and John Amenta in Idaho Falls. We discuss their work, how and why they're interested in Jung, and what this podcast has meant to them. These conversations were recorded on the evening of Friday, December thirteenth, two 2019, through the magic of Skype. Joining me now is Norman Buckley.
1: Well, it's it's such a profound thing that you're doing, Laura, and I mean I have to really, I really have to salute you because uh, oh, I've been um uh, I've been interested in Jung for for many years, and it's interesting how we've been going through a time I would say in the past um, uh, twenty years where I, w- I won't say he kind of fell off the radar for a while, but Uh, definitely, it feels like there's a resurgence of interest in him. And I do think that you are playing a big part in that. Certainly, in my own experience, just the sheer number of analysts that you've introduced me to has been Mm. such a phenomenal gift for me. And yet, it has a ripple effect because I share podcasts with different friends of mine, or I Share books by James Hollis now to various people who are going through certain kinds of experiences in their lives that I where I think his book might be appropriate. Uh, I just think what you're doing is is a phenomenal gift to um, to everyone. I, I just I can't stress it enough. Certainly for me, but I also know for other people around me. So hats off.
0: Thank you, thank you, Norman, for saying that. It means so much to me because. I wouldn't do this if, if it wasn't helpful to people. And if people that are listening, um, didn't tell me that they were listening, then I wouldn't know. And so thank you for reaching out to me and expressing, you know, your thoughts, sharing your thoughts with me. And just, I mean, just even you telling me that you're listening to it and that, um, you're, G- gaining some benefit from it, and that you're sharing oh, it with others. Oh, really?
1: it's extraordinary! It's an extraordinary benefit. I feel that that uh, so, so many different kinds of points of view, too. It's like looking at Jung in a prism in which everyone uh, reflects his ideas to me in a mm-hmm. in a particular way mm-hmm. that that me have a deeper experience. Uh, I I feel that. When people ask me if I'm if I'm religious or if I believe in anything, particularly, I say, well, I'm I'm a Jungian. I feel that that's that's really the basis of my of my point of view about. um, I mean, I was raised uh, Methodist uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the Protestant faith, and uh, but you know, as an adult, Jung gave me a way to contextualize a lot of these ideas that uh, are symbolic um, and, and um, yet I didn't have anyone to really talk about it with right. other than my, my analyst. You know, mm. It wasn't like I had a larger union community. It wasn't like I had a, a lot of uh, friends who even knew who he was. Right. And um, so to be able to find a, a, a community of people who who are like-minded I mean certainly there's the Jung Institute here and I've been to programs there and um, certainly there are the opportunities to do that but there's something about a podcast that's just so immediate and so wonderful I can hop in my car and and uh, listen to you talk to an analyst or I can go to the gym and get on the elliptical and listen to mm-hmm. you talk to an analyst and, and I find that it really is an um, element that that Expands my experience and uh, I for that. I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Truly. I am.
0: Thank you. Thank you that that's why I created it is because I wanted people to be able to listen to it easily and I I myself love to listen to interviews or podcasts when I'm doing things with my hands um, and when I'm not, you know, sitting at the computer reading or reading um, it occupies my mind and I don't want to just spend time doing things like also at the gym. I want to be listening to something and learning. And so that's what it's for. And it was really important to me to provide it for free and to not have any commercials or, or ads. And um, so, yeah, I appreciate you, you listening and sharing it. And I'm interested in in you as far as how you learned about Jung and and kind of, you, you you mentioned that you were in analysis. So do you feel comfortable sharing any of that? Sure,
1: sure. No, I'm happy to share anything. Uh, I'm, a, I'm pretty much an open book, as you can probably tell by Instagram and Twitter. Oh, okay, <laughs> right. There's, there's, not, there's not much that I'm <laughs> not willing to talk about.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: um, I, I can tell you very precisely how I became... Uh, interested in Jung, I mm-hmm. it was about thirty years ago. Um, my first significant other had died in eighty-eight, and my father was sick with lung cancer in eighty-nine. And uh, a friend took me to a Saturday morning screening of the documentary Matter of Heart. Oh, yes. uh, it was at a local movie theater here. They had uh, screenings of documentaries at this particular movie theater, and uh, I had never heard of Jung, mm-hmm. but the. Uh, the documentary was life changing yeah. for me. I, I just thought I have to know more about this man. I have to know more about his ideas. I went to a bookstore shortly after that, uh, and picked up the, um, uh, paperback copy of the pocket Jung or, you know, some, some, mm-hmm. some pocket, I can't remember the exact title, but it was a, a pocket book of, uh, some of his, um, uh, collected works. And, uh, at the same time, I picked up a novel uh, and actually it was a trilogy by Robertson Davies, a Canadian writer. Uh, it was a trilogy called the Deptford trilogy. And the whole second novel of this trilogy is essentially a union analysis. It's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between this um, um, character and the character of his analyst. Purely by synchronicity, okay. I picked up these two books and I ended up working in Poland for three months on a film. And I was um, uh, in uh, Katowice, Poland, which is, there wasn't a lot to do there at the time because this was 1989. Uh, it was still essentially um, behind the Iron Curtain because uh, the wall had not fallen yet. So I did all of my primary reading about Jung during this period of time in which I was relatively isolated, and, uh, mm-hmm as I was going through this crisis uh, of, of grief from the death of my first significant other in 1988, and then also also my, my father's um, uh, terminal illness. So it was an extraordinary um, um, period for me in terms of just being exposed to his ideas. And then I came back to Los Angeles and um, uh, contacted the Jung Institute here and said that I wanted to be an analysis with, with, um, with someone who was of this particular, um, um, background mm-hmm. and they, um, suggested someone who I saw for a couple of years, but he was not, he was still in the program. He, um, um, had a lot of other ideas that he was trying to bring into it. I, um, um, I, I, I sometimes, um, argued with him about, Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's not really, that's not really in keeping with what Jung was saying. Uh, But nonetheless, it was, it was a, it was an interesting experience, but I, I just kind of fell off of that after a couple of years. It wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And then I just kind of didn't see anyone for a long time. And then I, I kind of went through a crisis um, right around the turn of the millennium. I think it was 2001 actually. Um, I, um, was going through a, somewhat of a midlife crisis mm-hmm. and, um, I was talking to my medical doctor and I said, I kind of feel like maybe I should go back into some type of therapy. And he said, well, I can, uh, give you the name of somebody. And so he gave me the name of this guy. And, um, I, uh, walked into his office and I sat down and I looked up at his bookcase and I said, are you a Jungian? And he, he said, um, uh, well, yes, he said, I'm, I'm getting my certification as an analyst at the Jung Institute mm-hmm. right now. I'm not quite, but um, uh, yes, I am. And he was the one. I, I saw him until the end of his life. I saw him for 15 years and sometimes yeah. three times a week during that period of time. A good part of that time, I saw him three times a week. Mm-hmm. It was an extraordinary relationship for me. I, I credit uh, him with... Uh, um, so many things in terms of just my own growth. Uh, I certainly feel that my directing career uh, was something that um, I, because I was an editor for many years before I became a director and, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a, it was a somewhat huge leap of faith to give up my editing career and become a director. And, and um, I, I uh, really credit him with um, um, helping me through that trans transformation in my life. I, um, met my uh, husband, David, uh, uh, shortly after I started, uh, in analysis with him. I, I think that I would have talked myself out of that relationship, which was such a profound relationship. My, my, my relationship with my husband was yeah. deeply profound. And I feel that, that, um, my, um, analyst, um, really encouraged me to go deeper into the relationship as opposed to following my usual patterns, which were to find some reason to get out of it. And, right. and so I really credit him with um, with with so much good and rich that happened in my life over those 15 years that I saw him. And then my, uh, my husband, as you know, uh, passed away five years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, during that period of time my analyst was right with me just saw me seven days a week for a good month and a half um really walked me through that that really horrendous period of time um my grief was so deep and he was right there with me and then the following year he called me one day and and told me he said norman i have i have really bad news i've i've come down with lung cancer and i feel fairly certain that it's terminal and uh, i um uh, of course, burst into tears because I yeah. was so grateful to him. But he continued to see me. He, 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 he basically um, uh, resigned from his practice except for me and I, I think a couple of other people. But he continued to see me right up until the week before he died. Oh. And I just... I look back on that. It's such a gift and such an enormous act of generosity. Mm-hmm. He certainly could have said, you know, I, I can't do this anymore and I would have understood. But there was something very extraordinary that was happening in that relationship. And that's that's one of the things that I hear you talking with a lot of the various analysts that you interview about is that it's not about um, some, some quick fix of a problem. It's mm-hmm. not about um um some type of uh, uh, faddish psychotherapy it's it's about a relationship that's really deep that's really transformative on both sides yes i I would like to think i mean this is this is my own um, um interpretation of the events that led up to his death, but I would like to think that that experience between he and I, uh, dealing with my husband's death, also really prepared him for his own death mm. because we we talked about these things so deeply and in, in such um, in such a, um, a profound way, really analyzing my dreams and and, and also uh, talking about his feelings about what. what what we went through together, mm-hmm. you know, this experience was, was, um, just one of the primary relationships of my life. So that's uh, pretty much in a nutshell, my experience with Jung, but all of these things happen synchronistically. The, um, the friend taking me to the movie was, was just happenstance. Mm-hmm. The fact that I went into a bookstore and picked up these two books that have such intimate relationship with each other. The fact that, um, uh i went said to my doctor you know i just need to see somebody and he just randomly gave me this name right. uh, of somebody with without me saying you know i'm interested in jung this is really the the discipline that i'm interested in pursuing all of these things happened almost uh like like the flowering of a plant it just happened mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh have always felt that there was something about the experience that just confirms everything that Jung talked about the mm-hmm. self once. Yes. That yes. was uh, what happened to me.
0: I get asked the question quite frequently how do I find an analyst? How do I choose an analyst? And wow, i I really don't know how to answer that question because I found my analyst just kind of by chance, you know, a a story similar to yours. And you can't, I don't know, you know, what do you say to people? It's not like, well, there's this process that you should go through to find someone to find the right one. It happens or it doesn't happen. Right? I mean, what would you say?
1: That's why I included the part of the story about the guy that I saw that was referred to me by the Jung Institute mm-hmm. here. He wasn't right for me. Yeah. He was not for me because I, I, I went to see him. I, I went to the channels that one would, you know, I would think with, it. <laughs> you know, like it, right. it, it. It seemed like okay. I'll call the Jung Institute. They'll have somebody for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he wasn't the right one, and and I, I think that as opposed to allowing. That to kind of throw me off of the oh, okay, well I guess I was wrong about uh, this whole idea. I just continue to be faithful to the ideas that interested in, interested interested in me yeah. I'm having a hard time like forming words um, I, I think that the the thing that finally worked was a crisis that precipitated a certain, Chain of events. I I think that I was feeling something that needed to be answered, and it just was trust, trusting the the unconscious. Yes. Trust, uh, the the um trusting the dreams. The, the pay attention right. to the dreams as as much as anything else. I find that um, I'm I'm a, a big person who write down my dreams as you know I think I've even sent you a couple that you appeared mm-hmm. in mm-hmm.
2: and uh
1: I, I'm a, 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 I I do uh wake up and as much as possible I don't always do it because sometimes I'm more unconscious than other times but I really I make an effort to write down my dreams and to and to um allow them to have an effect on me yeah. because I do believe that that's the way we're we're growing and developing from from the inside out um, but certainly I think that when the student is ready, the teacher appears yeah. is the maximum that I've lived by. And, uh, I think that there's real wisdom in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that again, you're providing a service with your podcast, because you're certainly giving people a lot of resources in which to figure out for themselves what they need to do. I, I don't know how anybody could listen to your podcast and not think, oh, well, there's this place, that place, this book, that book, this, this person, that person, the the inner, the inner voice will guide you if you pay attention to it. And I certainly think that that's what one should pay attention to. The, the, the thing that I've noticed a lot in our society is that we want somebody external to tell us what to do. We want someone external to solve it for us. But I don't think that that's really the way it works. I think it has to be an inner directive for there to be a resonance. Yes, and-
0: I, I couldn't agree more.
2: Right.
1: That, but that is why I included the part of the story about the guy that um, I liked. I liked the guy that I saw okay. back in the 90s, but he wasn't right. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. It didn't. It didn't resonate. Mm-hmm. It didn't ring the bell. Mm-hmm. And what you did met- you. How did you how did you uh, like um, come to know about you? You probably talked about this on one of your podcast, but I can't remember. That's
0: OK. Right. Well. I was a psychology major in college, and I took a class called Transpersonal Psychology, and I remember them talking about Jung, but I, I didn't really do anything with it. And then I was getting a series of bodywork sessions done, called something called Heller Work, and it's kind of like mm-hmm. Rolfing.
1: Yes, I know. I, I'm familiar.
0: With Heller Work, yeah. So um, it was in Beechwood, Ohio, where I lived uh, outside of Cleveland. And this is right after I graduated from college and, well, a few years after. Um, I was always interested in things like that. So there was a Heller Work practitioner there. And I went through the whole series where you lie on a massage table and Um, I can't remember exactly how she manipulated the body, but it was also teaching you about your posture and how you hold yourself and your legs and your knees facing forward and your feet, your toes facing forward and what that symbolized. So it was this mind-body connection and looking at how The mind and the emotions would manifest themselves in the body. So there was a lot of talking that was done when when I was on the table. So I went through that whole series, and I didn't want it to end. Um, And so then there was an advanced series you could do. And so we did that. And then when that was over, I thought, well, I really enjoy coming here once a week and talking through things. And it was just this very comforting kind of container that I really hadn't had before. And so she said that there was somebody in the office that was training to become a Jungian analyst and that I could possibly start seeing her, which I did. And that relationship lasted for 17 years. So I I would see her once a week and then I moved. I left the Cleveland area, and did I say Chicago? It was Cleveland, um, and I moved to Chicago. So instead of ending the relationship, I continued by having phone sessions, and it wasn't as great as seeing each other in person, but I didn't want to end the relationship. And for a period of time, when I left Cleveland, I moved to Columbus, which was in within driving distance. So once a week, I would drive from Columbus to Cleveland to have my analytic hour. And then I drive home. And so I was in the car for about five hours a day that on that that one day a week. And it gave me time to process things. And I it was very enjoyable. So then when I moved to Chicago, it was too far away. So we continued over the phone. And that kind of also gave me the idea of the podcast because we had these conversations. And I remember starting to take notes. And so every time I would take notes, and she was teaching me things. And I i don't even know if I started tweeting some of it. Um, she would say some pretty profound things. And I have that notebook, and I want to do something with it someday. So anyway, that that was how that went, and then um, eventually I, I ended that and moved on. And I have seen other analysts um, briefly since then, but nothing that ever lasted very long. Um, I believe someday I, I'll probably pick up you know, the, the work again with somebody else um, when the time is right.
1: Well, I feel that way too mm-hmm. i I've been thinking lately I've been having a lot of very powerful dreams lately, which is has made me think that it might be time to to go back into um, um analysis um, I also saw shortly after uh, David died my husband um I saw his analyst because he was also a union analyst mm-hmm. uh, with he was in uh, union analysis with a with a wonderful woman and I saw her um, um a couple of times after um My um, analyst uh, died, who is also named David, strangely enough, and um, I um, um, saw her and I talked about continuing with her at that period of time. But one of the things that she said to me that was um, very um, uh, meaningful was she said, Norman, just you have to understand that it's a new analysis. It begins again. It's not like, oh, and we'll just pick up where Mm -hmm. I left off with with with. Uh, my last guy, and um, that gave me pause, and also just because of my work schedule, the way I travel as much as I do, I mm-hmm. I realized okay, it's not the right timing for this. But I have been feeling again this very strong sense of of needing someone to to um, to go into this experience again with me, and I think unless uh, someone has really been in that experience, it's it's not. You know, I've had people say to me, "Well, why would you do it for so long?" I'm like, "Well, it's not what you think it is. It's mm-hmm. not this idea of going in to solve some neurotic problem. Right. It's 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 an I, it, it's an experience of of working with another person to discover more consciousness, to remain open to becoming more and more conscious, which is an enormous undertaking. Yes. It's not something that." one should take lightly. It's not one, something that one should trivialize or be glib about. And and one of the things that I really appreciate about your podcast is you you frequently make distinctions between analysis and, and psychotherapy. It's, right. it's a completely different thing. Right. Somebody who's going through a process of um, of uh, trying to deal with um, um, a parent's death or a divorce or something like that, and, and it's feeling all kinds of Issues. Yeah, there's short term solutions in Mm -hmm. psychotherapy. I I wouldn't I wouldn't criticize that or judge that, but it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I do really like the fact that you continue to make that distinction because unless you've really been through that experience, I don't think that one really understands that it's a relationship that's about going deep within your own psyche and discovering things that are unconscious and bringing them up to consciousness as a way of doing a good work, doing a good work for the the whole, not just me personally. It's um yeah it's 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 hard to it's hard to describe to someone who hasn't actually been through it. Mm-hmm. But um I I, I found out was one of the reasons why I started to see my um analyst more than once a week because I just was overwhelmed with these dreams and. He said, "I feel like that once a week is not enough of a yeah. uh, for you." He said, "If you want to come more often, and you know, it was a huge investment, but it was totally worth it." That's right. one of the things back in my life, and I feel like, well, that was that was money well spent. It was time well spent. It was uh, it was something that 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 provided for me a perspective about my life that has carried me through some very very difficult times and um, uh, given me. Uh, also a rich background for the work I do because uh, um, I'm a television director and I think that um, one of the things that I can say with with pretty much confidence is that actors really like working with me because I'm not dealing with them on a superficial level. Mm -hmm. I'm opening myself to them in a way that, that has been based upon on years of really searching my own um, inner life mm-hmm. and bringing that inner life back out to a larger community, and, and uh, from you know from my readings of Jung and my readings of the, the people uh, around Jung who I really admire, like Marie Louise von Franz and and others, um, that's that's the work. The work is to to go into this inner world and bring that back to your community at large. Yes, and, um, I I feel that uh, that's an important work, and it's a work we need more than than ever these days. To and and there's there's so there's there's so much. Um, uh, but I don't, I want to, I want to be careful about not dismissing anything because I also think there is a place for medication. There is a place for short-term therapy. There is a place for all those things, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And I also really appreciate the fact that you talk a lot about that. People are too quick to just put somebody on medication. Right. Um, the, uh, um, again, as you know, my husband, David had, had, uh, many struggles and we went through all kinds of periods where, where the answer was just, oh, slap him on this medication or that medication. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's not a solution. They don't even know how a lot of those medications work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the real uh, uh, advances he made in his own growth, in his own psychology, even uh, in, the, in the midst of, of difficulty, was when he, when he himself went into Jungian analysis and when he himself really started to look for the creative solution to these issues. Now it, it, it didn't end, um, happily, uh, as you know, uh, for him, the, there were all kinds of issues that, that were difficult, um, to, to, um, comprehend, but I do know this for sure that that period of time in which he was in analysis, really looking for the, for the, the deeper issues, the, 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 the larger movement of the unconscious within his own specific ego personality, that was when he bloomed as a human being, as an artist, as a, as, a, as a spouse. It was an extraordinary thing to witness. And again, he came to it on his own. It wasn't like I said, hey, you really need to be seeing a, a, a Jungian. Mm-hmm. He came to it on his own. He decided himself that I really want to explore this. I discovered after he died. I I found um, all of these books uh, in 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 our library. Um, a lot of these books, particularly by Edward uh, Eddinger, oh, um, wow. that he had marked up, that that, that had um, references and notes and things. That suddenly uh, I, I I um realized just how deeply he was exploring some of these ideas of both of the self and, and the ego, mm-hmm. particularly exploring it in his work and exploring it. Um, but that was, that was a far better period of time than the period of time during which they were trying to move him from medication to medication sure. to medication to deal with, with whatever his, uh, uh, specific, um, uh, psychological issues were at the time. Uh, I, I used the word, uh, mental illness as a, as a way to describe that these things are complicated. And I mm-hmm. don't think that one can dismiss um, 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 a psychology uh, is just like, Oh, well, he, he just had a bad day. I don't, I don't think that's the case. You know, these things are very, very complicated, but I also I kind of shy away from the term mental illness as well, because it, it kind of, um, uh, it's almost like a pejorative, you know, it, right. it says that the, the, these movements of the unconscious are, it's a bad thing. And one of the great things that my, my analyst did after David died, after my husband died, uh, was remind me that David's life is not a tragedy. David worked hard at growth. It was a short life and it was a, a, a life of um, of some tumult, mm. but he accomplished such a great deal and, um, and, uh, the, the art that he's left behind, uh, uh yeah. speaks to that. Yeah. And a lot of the, the, uh, experiences that he had were, were really deep experiences of the unconscious mm-hmm. that, that just now processing here five years later. Uh, it's, a it's, it's a, a phenomenal experience to have gone on that journey with him and, um, um, I, I think that it was a, a, a wondrous thing to watch him look for the creative solution to these issues that we are so quick to just slap with a pill yes. and hope that it goes away. You know, I, I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is to, to really wrestle with it, to mm-hmm. really wrestle with the difficulty and wrestle with, the, with what's trying to be born, with what's trying to come up to consciousness it's um, very anyway, well said. I yes. Got off on a on a
0: I appreciated that. that there, but. Very, very well said. And it made something clear for me about analysis. It's about the relationship.
1: And it was a relationship that that um uh, was contained. It wasn't like he and I were not friends. We did not socialize. Right. You know, it was uh I mean we were friends, but but we, we didn't We didn't behave as social Mm -hmm. friends, Mm -hmm. I should say. It was contained. And uh, I I think that people have different kinds of relationships with with their own analysts. I I make no judgment of whatever that is. But for me, that was important. It was important for me to be able to go into a room with somebody who I did not feel was involved in any other aspect of my life Mm -hmm. and be able to to share my life with him. And and, and it was a, a relationship with him. And it was also our joint relationship with the unconscious material that we were dealing with. And, and that was extraordinarily um, um, potent. There was so much in that, that, that I think that working with um, uh, him made me see things that I could not see in any other way. And likewise, I think that with him, too, as I said, as he approached his own death, we spent the year prior talking about death in every session I was in, Mm -hmm. which was sometimes, well, initially it was seven days a week, and then, you know, it would sometimes be, uh, you know, three times a week, sometimes once a week in that last year, but... But we we talked about that because that's what I was dealing with. That's what I was really trying to comprehend was the was the magnitude of my grief, and 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 I can't help but feel that it, that was an important um, relationship for him too, for him too in yeah. processing the fact that he had this terminal illness and his approach to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I I just I think that people can trivialize what happened. It's only, what, what has it been like? It's only been a hundred years that this stuff has really been mm. in some type of, I don't even know that before a hundred years ago, you could even talk about a Yumian point of view as much as um, just, yeah, he was doing work there, but, but these are very new ideas. Yes. These are new ideas that are, that are being born into the, um, the larger collective consciousness. And, um, I, I think we're only, you know, at the very beginning of how this is going to ripple out in in larger and larger ways.
0: That's a very good point. Yeah, and and uh, I had heard some people say that Jung was in danger of kind of fizzling out and going away and being forgotten, and I was stunned to hear that.
1: I don't even know how that's possible, given that he was the you know the one who who really um, um, had these essential ideas of introversion and extroversion and personality types and the collective unconscious mm-hmm. and archetypal um, um, uh, complexes these these things that are so much I the, the the thing that I think is dangerous and I and I've noticed you reference it a lot on your podcast is when you try to water down some of these ideas with with um, um, other theories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what he was talking about were primary ideas that are being borne out by physics. You mm-hmm. know, so I I don't particularly worry about the idea of human fizzling out. I don't think it's possible. I think it's just, you know, these ideas are there and uh, yeah, there may be like some ebb and flow of whatever's Popular and current within the psychological communities, but yeah, so what? You know, it's kind of like um, art fads. There's mm-hmm. there's art that endures, and then there's art that's of a moment. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there are films that endure, and then there are films that are of a moment. That's something else that I think is interesting too. Is the idea that at the same time that Jung was coming up, these um, these film was being born as a way of of um, of capturing our, our collective, um, uh, experience of the psyche. Uh, and Jung y- talks so much about images, mm-hmm. you know, he, he talks so much about the archetypes or their, their, images more than their, you know, we get lost in all, all of our, our, uh, words right. sometimes about these things, but, but they're images. And, and at the same time, this new medium of film was being born and, and, and we, we, we think and dream and feel in images, It's images that kind of drift yes. across our consciousness. We're, we don't think in words. We don't think in um, um, jargon. And, and a lot of the psychological community gets lost in jargon. Right. And that was one of the things that was so hard for me whenever I would try to have some therapeutic experience before, before I, I met this man, David Eidenberg, who was my, who was my analyst. Um, there, people would get lost in jargon. They would be talking jargon. And I was just like, well, it, it, it's the it's essential the idea behind all the words that's important. And I don't see a lot that's happening in, in uh, psychology right now that's, that's, that's hearkening back to, you know, it doesn't matter ultimately whether, um, you know, these neural pathways are working uh, this way or that way as much as what is the image that's being produced? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, um, uh, it's it's so profound what he was talking about that I, I think it almost uh, uh, yeah, let the psychological community drift whatever direction it wants to, let it float about. These ideas are ideas that come from the collective unconscious, yes. you know, they're powerful, they'll, they'll remain because they'll remain, they, they have no, no um, uh, need to, to be affirmed by the current psychological mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. in mind.
0: Yeah, that's very well said. And um, I wanted to ask you about the foundation that you founded for David. Would you tell us about that?
1: Yes, well, I mean, I've been dancing around, you know, this in, in this this uh, call with you, but uh, but as you know, I mean, David um, um, took his own life, uh, and he um, uh, struggled for a long time with 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 um, issues that um, that I found he he really was on a pathway to to f- figuring a lot of this stuff out with his art. His art was was so deeply wonderful, both as an experience for him, and then also he had great um, success at the end of his life. His paintings, it was kind of, um, um, well, I, I actually, let me back up just a minute. Um, I, I, I don't know that I've told you this before, but um, I was with David for 10 years. And during the first five years, David would have these, um, these um, grand mal seizures um, that were um, hard to explain because he wasn't a classic epileptic. All of the EEGs we did were nothing would really indicate that there was uh, any c- type of uh, classical epileptic uh, um, behavior. But he would have these seizures, and these seizures were 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 quite frightening, as you can imagine. Sure. And so during the first five years of our. Um, uh, Relationship. David was just a hobby painter. He just painted around the house in okay. you know, little canvases. And then uh, in 2009, he had this massive seizure. Such that by the time the paramedics got here to our house, um, uh, he didn't even have a gag reflex. And so by the time we got him to the hospital, it, it looked like he wasn't going to survive the night because it was it was quite frightening. Uh, and he was in a coma for about eight hours, and then. Gratefully, he woke up, and I, I remember being just so, just so relieved and so grateful. But he he essentially had this experience that I now think of in terms of, of a deep dive into the unconscious, mm-hmm. and he came out of that experience with a renewed um, uh, awareness, uh, an appreciation for uh, life in such a way that um, he. Um, Wanted to get off a lot of the medications that I was talking about that he had been on. And, um, he painted hundreds of canvases over the next five years. Mm. Hundreds. It's, it's just the amount of work he did, uh, was, was just beyond what I can even describe. And also at the same time, I, as I told you, he, he felt the need to, to find his own, um, Jungian analyst, this mm-hmm. woman. Saw until the end of his life um so he he really did a deep dive into these um into these um really um um inexplicable uh, uh images and, and 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 was just such a fine artist and his work started selling just just all of a sudden it was just like boom from going from th- being a hobby painter and, you know, thinking maybe I'd sell a painting at a garage sale sometime or give one to a friend, a right. uh, gallery in Beverly Hills picked him up. He started selling really, really well. And mm-hmm. and, and up until the end, such that I, I only have the paintings that I've decided to keep. I've sold everything of his work. I've sold sketches that he's done. It's just in art collections all over the world. Now, along with this, he felt very strongly that uh, he had a responsibility to other artists and to the the community at large to promote the arts. And so he, in spite of the fact that he was doing really well, had a had a had a very thriving art practice. He went down and found that the city had a arts budget that they weren't using, and so he set up art classes for for senior citizens and disadvantaged youth in, in East L.A. He worked with the Children of War Foundation, which uh, uh, is uh, war-scarred um, uh, children who have lost arms and eyes, and set up art classes for 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 them. He um, uh, worked with the Art of Elysium with terminally ill children. He just gave himself so fully to supporting others as well as his own work and. And, and, and told me that we, like, we had the responsibility, he and I, we have the responsibility to buy other artists' work to support other artists. He said, I, I have a very fortunate life. You know, we need, to, we need to support other artists by buying their work. So when he died, I just felt very strongly that, that there was something, number one, really healing about the power of art. I saw, I witnessed it you know, until just the, 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 just the last little bit of time before, before he died. He, he, he had a remarkable, um, I, I just, I can't describe it as any other way than just this blossoming. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and it happened because of the art. He threw himself in the art in such a way, it was a way of expressing his unconscious through his art, uh, and, and he felt very strongly that th- that was important for the salvation of our species. <laughs> that you know we have to really recognize that side of our um, uh, consciousness. And so I was looking for a way to you know I'm I'm not a believer in. Um, um, Being a victim, I really wanted to find a way to give meaning to this extraordinary life that he had, and I I really wanted to carry on the ideas that were important to him. And so I decided to, in in conversations with with other people who knew him, I, I decided to set up a foundation in his memory that would support artists in their growth and provide grants for them so that they could a lot of artists just barely get by i mean david right. was lucky we, we had um you know, we we're, were we were financially stable but um a lot of artists have trouble buying supplies mm-hmm. some art have studio space um so I, I i felt i felt moved and again this wasn't something that was intellectual as much as it was something that i just felt really from internally, that the best way to give meaning to David's life was to promote the things that were important to David. And so I set up this foundation, this nonprofit foundation, in order to give grants um, to artists, unrestricted grants, because a lot of grants that are in the art world right now are kind of like, well, you have to do this, that, and the other. A lot of grants go to people who don't need the money uh, mm-hmm. or don't need the the promotion. My grants in this foundation are specifically tailored for artist teachers, people, because he had such a passion for teaching that I thought, well, you know, a, a good thing to do would be to support those people who teach art so that um, they have the time to deal with their own studio practice. You know, maybe they can take a sabbatical or, or they can do whatever they want with it. I, I don't try to, to dictate what the terms are. Uh, but then also um, mid-career artists, people who maybe haven't gotten the, the attention that they, um, that some of their peers have. So somebody who's been working for a long time in the arts. We, we have different kinds of grants, and we're always changing it up each year or two. But we've, we've thus far given out seven grants. And earlier this year, I had a group show of all of those artists so I, I feel very good about that as a as a way of um, dealing with um, um, the meaning that I needed to find in this experience. Yeah. I think we're meaning seeking creatures, and I think that the worst thing one can do is go into a whole. Well, look, I mean it's part of the grieving process to roll into the fetal position and go, Oh, woe was me, why did this happen to me? But I think that coming out the other side of that, you have to do something with those feelings. And to keep David alive, um in in the the sense that was most important to him was really important to me. And so that's my that's my um foundation. It's called the David Whaley Foundation and I'm 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 very grateful that I've had this opportunity because I'm seeing within the artists that we've supported thus far real growth and real um, um, opportunity that um, uh, makes it feel that what we've done is a, is a good thing.
2: Yeah, that's um, wonderful.
1: It, it's important to me to uh, give back. In the way that I can, and I I think that that's something that um, I really do believe is in keeping with a lot of what I hear on your podcast. You know, it's everybody has their their own path. Uh, We're here to to find our individual path. Not everybody can serve in the same way, but how can we serve? Right. And uh, just hearing you talk about the podcast and how you. You 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 did it because you felt an inner need to do it. It sounds yeah. like, yeah, and that's 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 extraordinary to follow that dictate and to not even know how the the ripples of that are going to manifest is one of the most beautiful things about it, and um, I, I feel. Deeply moved by the idea that that David doesn't even know how many people he impacted. Right. It it continues to happen. It continues to to expand every time I talk about him. And um, I, I think that um, um, there's a lot of these things that I read in Jung. I mean, some of the I'm very moved by. I can't remember whether it's a letter or something. He said something to Marie Louise Franz at some point, like he, like I'm done. I can't I can't take it any further than this. Yes. But you can take it further,
2: Right. you know.
1: Um, I just I, that idea is so moving to me. I mean, I'm at it. I just turned 64. I'm entering the the last third of my life. I like to think I've just mm-hmm. passed my Saturn return. You know, yep. <laughs> so I'm looking at um. um uh, the 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 last third, and really uh, thinking about uh, what what counts. What counts for me? There there will always be new people coming into the business. There will always be people who will be following me. And and in what way can I extend myself to the growth of others? Wow. And, and not in some type of. I, I don't mean that in some self-aggrandizing way. I mean that in terms of like. My own consciousness will extend through others. Right. David's consciousness extends through me. Mm-hmm. David Eidenberg, my analyst, his consciousness extends through me. Yes. There are so many things that he said to me over the 15 years that I was in analysis that I find myself saying to other people.
2: Yeah.
1: Those, those ideas, those 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 things that he expressed, they're alive. Yeah. You know, they're alive. It's, it's not that... I, I mean, I tend to think of our bodies as like we're, we're, um, we're like our iPhones, you know, we're like, um, uh, transmitters, you know, we're, we're, um, there's information that is consciousness. And my particular body, which is an iPhone like instrument that has designed obsolescence and it has certain apps that express itself in a certain way. And yours is a different, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, transmitter, but we're transmitting information that is consciousness becoming more and more aware. Um, and, and, and there's something quite beautiful about that idea that the information still exists. The information that was David, the information that was David Eidenberg, the, the, the information that was Jung, the information that was Marie-Louise von Franz that extends every single time someone, someone says something about what they've um, read or heard or conferred about there's something extraordinary about that and and so each person then is tasked with finding meaning and expression of that in the way that's best for them and um I, i i work to do that i wake up in the morning and i think to myself okay in what way am i going to be a little bit more conscious today and 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 offer what i have up to and and, and I, again I don't want that to sound highfalutin I don't want it to sound you know like with any kind of um oh how grand you know but just just it's it's the movement of of these ideas forward down down the field yes you know that's it
0: wonderful wonderfully said I think uh we'll leave it there
1: Wow, I really have enjoyed talking to you, uh, Thank you. Laura. I, like I said, I feel like I know you really, really well just from listening to over fifty. Hour, how many? How many podcasts have you done?
0: I've done fifty-one. This is fifty-two.
1: Yeah, and so at least fifty-two hours, probably a lot more because some of those podcasts are long. Yeah, and uh, some of them go on like an hour and a half. So what, like sixty, seventy hours? I've listened to your. To your uh, oh. ideas as you interact with all these different people. I feel like I know you a lot better than you probably know me, but it's kind of great, you know.
0: I appreciate so. that so much. I can't even express how much I appreciate you listening and being so supportive, your supportive words, and every time you message me, it just it it makes me emotional, Norman. It really oh, does. Nice. I, I get very emotional well. with you. Um, I just feel like you're a real kindred spirit, and the fact that you reach out to me and you share your thoughts with me, it it means so much. So.
1: Well, you, you show up in my dreams. So I I feel like I have to, (laughs) I I was looking back actually, I was looking back at one and there was this one that was really great because um, I always see uh, whenever I dream, uh, I frequently dream about pools of water and I always feel that whenever I dream about pools of water or or the surf or the ocean or anything like that, I, I, I always think, okay, in my mind, that really is is about is about the unconscious. Yeah. It's about that part of me that's going into the unconscious. And there was this one dream that I sent to you some time ago, right. where
2: I remember that
1: you were standing on the edge of the pool and you were looking down at me and saying, you know, that's just the complexes. <laughs> just the... There these bubbling lights in the water, and I and I thought, God, it's just so appropriate because that's essentially what your podcast have done. Mm. Your podcast It's really been like these bubbling. Um, uh lights in, in in the water of my unconscious you know that are kind of reminding me like oh yeah pay attention to this pay attention to that mm-hmm. pay attention to that mm-hmm. and that's that's a gift so uh i really uh again i i, I thank you so much for everything you do I, it, it's really it's really been a service to me personally and i i i just think it's, if if for no other reason were you to have done these podcasts but just for me as far as i'm concerned that's enough.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Really, thank you, I
1: no, no, you're doing it for a much larger reason too. I I, uh, I joke about that just for me part because I do really think you're making a real difference, and I know that a lot of people in the union community. I can tell with some of the way that these these various analysts respond to you, they recognize it too. You're you're moving it into a different zone. For people and and and, and um, really evidenced by some of the wonderful people you talk to. I mean, my God! Sometimes I just think, oh wow, you know, there are yeah. all these people, their, their ideas, and also. I, I, I know you have to go, so I'm, I don't want to keep you, but just also hearing them talk with you, and then being able to go back to their books, is so much better oh, oh, right. than with the book itself. You mm-hmm. it's because I was, I was. Um, I was trying to read one book and then you happened to interview the person that um, had written the book and um, I, you know, I, I couldn't get into the book before I, I, I didn't have a voice. I didn't have a
2: right,
1: right. Have a, a hook. I didn't have, mm-hmm. I didn't know who was. And so the ideas were, were, were just, they were almost, it was almost too left brain for me. I you see. know, it just was just words, just yeah, words. Yeah. And then and then listening to you talk to uh, the person on the podcast, I was like, "Oh, I see. oh, I see, I get it, I get it and And then I'm able to go back into the work itself with a new perspective. And I think that's a really wonderful thing about the podcast too, because I do think sometimes we get caught up in 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 and um, particularly writing that's too academic. There's a lot of writing that, yes. that has a has a academic flavor. It's like, it's hard for me to like, I read it and I go like, what? I don't know. I don't understand that yeah, concept. Me too. But then hearing some of these people just kind of talk about their ideas in a really straightforward manner. Yeah. Then I go back and read it in a way. I've, I've been finding it particularly helpful with these commentaries, these, um, these red book commentaries. Cause I, oh, I bought right. that up. Yeah. And, and, um, um, you know, reading some of these commentaries is so much more interesting after hearing, some of these people speak if mm-hmm. that makes
0: sense yeah absolutely
1: but anyway thank you so much for for asking me to do this this has just been uh, a treat it really has
0: oh, i appreciate your time thanks for your willingness to do it and i love having you be part of the podcast now
1: yeah yeah me too exciting
0: okay norman <laughs> so i
1: hope i hope we stay in touch laura let's uh let's oh, definitely, definitely plan one of these days i'm going to make it to chicago yep. and i'll take it out to dinner
0: I look forward to that so much. Oh, I would love that. And joining me now is artist Timothy
3: Hull. We can dial it back to that beginning of when I really do think I listened to almost the first or second episode. I I somehow happened upon it right when you started the podcast. So I definitely have been with you since the very beginning. And I remember... I think it was maybe in in at some point in 2015, or maybe very early 2016. I believe it was when when did you actually start the podcast? It was Mm -hmm. in
0: 2015. It was in the summer, the late summer in August.
3: Well, that coincided with a period of my life where I quit my day job as you know, which was a great celebratory thing. And I focused on just making art full time Mm -hmm. and art time. And I was in the studio countless countless hours and looking for inspirational podcasts or intellectual philosophical podcasts to listen to and at the time I was also really diving into the collected works of Jung and really trying to understand his ideas and so I happened upon your podcast in a very early search of Jungian podcasts and there aren't there weren't there were practically none at the time now there's maybe You know, the Chicago uh, group has a podcast, but outside of that, there's not all that many. So it wasn't easy. I mean, it was very easy to happen upon your podcast time. And again, I would listen to it while I was painting and it was giving me such great ideas for the kind of work that I do. And then I remember that I reached out to you, actually, because I knew you were in Chicago and a gallery I was working with in Los Angeles was doing the art fair in Chicago, yes. and they took artwork there. Yes, and, and I, I went to more. Yeah, I said if you if you're around in the Chicago land area, you should go check out the the exhibition. And you did. Yeah, I was very impressed that you did, and uh, you even tweeted about it. And that was really cool. And and I feel like I I tried to explain to you that you know check out my work because it's made listening to your podcast and i feel like i infuse a lot of Union thought mm. into mm. my work
0: well you know i didn't even introduce you your name is timothy hall and you are an artist but you're also a teacher
3: i am a college professor
0: and in, in new york city
3: yes the city university of new york
0: the city university of new york and where did you go to art school
3: I went to New York University as an undergrad mm-hmm. where I studied studio art, Italian language, and mm-hmm. continental philosophy. Cause so I went to the Gallatin School of Individualized Study at New York University where you develop your own sort of ad hoc major and curriculum. Okay. So that's why I could sort of study all these sort of disparate things. And then I went to graduate school at the Parsons School of Design. Oh wow, okay. Which is the eating art school in New York Mm -hmm. and studying and drawing there. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so where did Jung come into the picture?
3: You know, that is a very murky question. It Mm -hmm. sort of crept up on me. I do remember in undergraduate at, at NYU when I was doing my sort of thesis in the Gallatin School, you had to come up with a great books curriculum where you had to oh i you, love that yeah you you sort of said okay as in my senior year i'm going to read like 25 great books and build my sort of thesis around these great books and my one of my painting professors said oh you really should include in your in your great books jung's uh, man and his symbols
2: mm-hmm.
3: um and that was sort of a pop culture y kind of book that actually my, my grandparents had and I inherited. Really? And so I threw that into my list and I remember reading it and being very compelled by the ideas and very taken by the ideas. But then I quickly went to live and work in Florence, Italy, right after graduation. And I threw myself into sort of Renaissance and in, in the humanism aspect of things and sort of left Jung on the back burner and um, and didn't really come into deep Jungian fruition until probably around 2015 when I was diving more into where are the images that I'm working with coming from, how do they operate in the world and through history and why am I using them and what are their functions and I went back to Man and His Symbols. And that felt too elementary to me mm. at that point. So then I started to go more into primary source material reading, um, more directly Jung's works. And it started to make a lot of sense to me. Yet I've never been into Jungian analysis, but I would absolutely mm-hmm. love to.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But up in this region now, there isn't a very close by analyst. So I'm waiting for one to sort of appear in my life and then I shall go. Mm-hmm.
0: But <laughs> so do you drive into the city every day?
3: I do. I do drive into the city, but um, into this sort of more out, outskirts of the city, because I don't teach in Manhattan. I teach at Lehman College, which is part oh, of the- OK. The- and it's in the Bronx. So I sort of drive in and then come back, come back home. But, you know, it's interesting about I just want to circle back to the mm-hmm. idea of doing an analysis I don't feel like anything in my life has has made me feel like desperate to get into analysis. But I have always felt like if I'm open to it and if the timing was right, right. and if the situation presented itself in a sort of, like if the unconscious sort of yep. presented the situation, then I would walk readily into it.
0: What a great attitude. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And You've taken classes at the Jung Institute there in New York. Is that right?
3: I did. And I, I took a, a sort of introductory class. Um, and, you know, now my mind is blanking on who I took it with. Um, but it was not very, it wasn't very intensive. It was sort of like an introductory type of situation. And I must say that the it was very problematic because it happened during the Election in 2016 when mm-hmm. I was taking class, mm-hmm. and it was about 12 people in this class, maybe less, maybe fewer people, maybe eight people, and there were a few of them who were very sort of pro-Trump, and a bunch of people who were very pro-Hillary, and of course the whole class sort of just oh no just just d- disintegrated into political yeah. discussion that was very vitriolic and sort of alienating. And so I ended up not going to the, to all the sessions of this class because I felt like that, you know, that, that just the emotions and the energy was so intense during that time that, that I, I just felt like I was very unnerved that it had entered into this arena, which felt like it didn't need to be in at the time. But then Mm -hmm. I think looking back those archetypal energies were just bursting out everywhere. Yes, good point. And they still are. Look yes. at the Brexit and the the vote in, in England yesterday. I, you know, I look at all of that through an archetypal lens because mm-hmm. it's the only way it makes sense. I
0: know, right? Yep.
3: If if you if you can't get into Jung and look at it in that sort of perspective, then it makes no sense. So that's why I think that that. Um, John Dorley was onto something when he said in in uh, his interview with you that Jung Jung's attitude provides a hope for humanity more than any other tradition.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. But Tim, we get we get so I, I there's so many adjectives I can I can use right now. We get so criticized for having that stance. And Gary Sparks, I I think it was on the. Third, the third time I interviewed him, I said, you know, what about these people who say we're deifying Jung? And he's like, yeah, Jung was a great man. And he goes on and on about that. We need that now. And
3: But, but I didn't feel like, I mean, personally, like mm-hmm. I love Jung, but I don't deify him because right. I, I see yes. him as a, as a man who had a paradigm. And his paradigm makes sense for understanding. yes the human relationship to the world and 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 why we do the things we do and yep. how to how to heal it yeah. and it was, it's it's outside the realm of deifying i mean if anyone deifies jung it's only because we have a human drive to want to deify
2: mm-hmm.
3: something or somebody um so we end up Good just point. picking somebody and and, and deifying them mm-hmm. <laughs> but for me i think that He just provides a worldview. He provides like a rubric that you can look at your relationships with your parents, your relationship with the world, what's going on in the world, art, religion, spirituality. It's like a it's like a framework for understanding all that stuff that is almost outside of him. Like you don't need him. It's not like I was just thinking that. Right you know, he, you don't need this mediation of this person named Jung to attain this knowledge. Mm-hmm. The knowledge is out there. It's So, you know, you can come to it on your own. And, um, I think that that's just a dismissive attitude saying, Oh, Jung is being deified. So it's less important or that's just fr- frivolity.
0: Yeah. Or that it's a cult or that we are, just holding him up higher than right. than what though
3: than than he
0: should be i mean who's to say i just what
3: think should? that
2: mm-hmm.
3: i felt that attitudes uh, like against jung really are fear based attitudes against any kind of idea of something greater than the rational mm. like, because mm-hmm. Jung Jung, I know he never wanted to be, but Jung really is a mystic. I mean, he really believes in in something intangible, something a causal, something beyond you know the scope of the everyday. I mean, he believes in the rational in the everyday and the, right. the but he also believes in the in the efficacy in the reality in the potency of the invisible world. yes, and that's vital. That's 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 what we need. We can, you know we, that's that's healthy in a way, but people are afraid of that. They're afraid of oh, what yeah. they can't be. They're afraid of what, you know, is unidentifiable.
0: And sometimes I think about separating the person out from the material. Instead of focusing on who said this, focus on what he said and talk about that. But I I don't know, I'm not comfortable with that fully. Um, But to not make it about him, but rather about what he said, I don't know, is that fair? Because he wasn't just preaching. This This was experiential, right? It was what he learned over the course of working with people for decades.
3: Yeah. But I also think that the union ideas need to evolve and grow and be looked at for our time, because, you know, they are mutable. Like he wasn't a Pope. He doesn't have an infallible word on Mm -hmm. thing. His ideas will only be more effective as they grow with, with the, with the world, with, with the way things go. And so I feel like it, what's dangerous to me is when people do deify or do try to dogmatize Jung's ideas and say well it has to be this way it's the only way it can be and that is myopic and extremely limiting and i think in the end anti-union i think mm. Jung, mm-hmm. Jung is all right. about synthesis and and you know dialectics and tension of opposites and um looking he, at the I,
0: other side God.
3: I mean, it's that tension of opposites. I teach that in my classes all the time. Oh, nice.
0: Tell me how. How so?
3: Well, here's an interesting sort of union thing that I do in my two-dimensional design class is we create mandalas. Mm -hmm. And the lesson is uh, symmetry and asymmetry. That's the sort of ostensible lesson. But the deeper lesson is the, the concept of the mandala as a symbol of the self. Mm -hmm. That idea is totally taken from Jung. Mm -hmm. And so I have the students create two mandalas side by side, one that uses perfect radial symmetry and one that uses asymmetry. Okay. So one mandala usually symbolizes something very rational and structured, and the other one usually symbolizes something very sort of chaotic and Dionysian. And so I have them put them side by side, and I call the the project the tension of opposites, the, and which is also sort of a union term. Oh yeah. And so then I have them explain to me in the critique. Okay, what are these mandalas symb- symbolized to you? Mm-hmm. Like uh, Like what was your your what were your feelings? What were your thoughts and your ideas in creating these two? And then I ask other students in the critique to tell me what they see in those mandalas. And that's always interesting. So then we we end up having these very union discussions without actually having like a psychology class.
0: Right. And you don't mention Jung.
3: I usually do mention Jung, but okay. not in a didactic way. I'll just okay. say, oh, the great Swiss psychologist Carl Jung said such and such. Mm-hmm. But I don't make it like a... Um, a a, you know a union based thing
0: right I'm really curious about your work your personal work your art the art that you make so you teach but you're also an artist
3: I am yeah I, I mean I teach art classes at painting and drawing and two-dimensional design at the college level and that does feed my inspiration and, and it gets me sort of out of the studio and working with people and disseminating my ideas, which is great. But primarily I'm a studio-based visual artist and I am mm-hmm. most happy when I'm in my workspace making paintings and drawings that are, you know, shown in exhibitions or art fairs and sold. And that's, you know, it's commerce and that's how I make my living. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to think that I'm working on you know, much more loftier goals and ideas. And, and Jung sort of helps me situate that because my, I think of myself in a way as being like an artist historian where so much of my artwork is inspired by historical research. Um, and a lot of my artwork is about the Hellenistic world, the Greek yeah. world, a little bit of the Roman world, a little bit of Egypt, antiquity, and in that, my imagery references um, Greek sculpture, uh, early Arabic Kufic script, the uh, Greek, early Greek language, linear B, which is a very early, early Greek language. I use a lot of that text in my work, a lot of patterning, Greek patterning, Arabic patterning. I'm interested in where the sort of dying Greek world intersected with the rising Arab world, where those cultures sort of clashed or borrowed or melded, what that could look like, what that could feel like. And so my artwork reflects a lot of those ideas, which I think invariably you can look to Jung to understand the sort of archetypal imagery of Mm -hmm. language, of text, of bodies, of Shapes, forms, patterns that ancient cultures were using, and we still okay. use, still look at, right. still today. So I'm sort of bringing, I'm sort of dragging the, the images of the past and, and trying to give them a more contemporary feel to talk about, in a way, how history repeats and these motifs are still relevant, but looking at them through a more contemporary lens. Mm-hmm that's why Jung is interesting to me, because I can use his ideas, okay, like, why am I doing this? Like, what is it about these symbols, these languages, Mm -hmm. these images of antiquity that intrigue me so much, you know, and, and I sort of vacillate between, oh, well... Maybe I lived in in these places in a past life, and I'm sort of trying to re relate with them in my contemporary life, and you know, so I go there to this sort of like spiritual reincarnation mm-hmm. degree. But then I also think, okay, how am I continuing the this story of history? How am I how am I in a conversation with people two thousand years ago in today's world? Mm. And that that gets me really high. Like when I think Mm -hmm. about, oh, someone 2,000 years ago sort of carved this script into a wall in a mountain desert. And here I am taking that script and like enlarging it onto a huge oil painting and presenting it in a contemporary art setting. Mm -hmm. So like somehow that person 2,000 years ago is now still in dialogue with the world. Yes. Through my artwork. Right. So it's like a telephone line through time where we're communicating. And I think that there's something really enthralling about that idea. I, I
0: love that. This is fascinating. And in the interest of time, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the red book.
3: Well, okay. I admittedly, I do not own the red book. Mm-hmm. I'm sure <laughs> I've you've seen it, right? I've seen it. Yeah. I, I'm like, I want to own it. And I've even sometimes like lied to people. I'm like, Oh yes, of course I own the red book. <laughs> Um, it's expensive and it's huge. Exactly. But I'm very familiar with it. And I've looked through a lot of PDFs of it and I've seen a lot of the imagery and I'm very inspired by the ideas of Jung expressing his psyche or unconscious through the Red Book. And I find that to be, I mean, when I look at some of his artwork, I'm like, wow, he was quite a talented artist in his own mm-hmm. right. Um and I, lo- I, I tell you, one of my favorite artwork of his actually are the stone carvings yeah. that he did at uh, the lake house.
2: Yes,
0: in Bollingen, right.
3: The, the Bollingen wood carvings, so, uh, stone carvings are so intriguing. I love the idea of carving in stone that, you know, man was carving in stone thousands of years ago, and here's Jung carving in stone. Mm-hmm. It's so elemental
0: he is one of the great men of the 20th century.
3: He definitely is. And I think he is not, I, I personally do not think he is recognized. Mm-hmm. Why? I've i come to believe that he is probably one of the top five most important people of the, of the 20th century. I mean, mm-hmm. he, and he, and, and one of your guests, I can't remember who it is said that, Jung probably will not be really understood for another like 100 or more. Years. Right.
0: Well, I hope people are still discussing him and reading him in a 100 years. And I think that my the latest episode I did 51 with Ann Casement, where we talked about mm-hmm. Jung's shadow. If you if somebody picks up on some of that about Jung, Jung's shadow qualities, some of the things that he said and did.
3: But that's why we should love him. I mean, that's why that's what makes him a human being.
0: It, but it takes, I think, somebody who's pretty conscious to see it that way.
3: Right. I mean, I I always resent and hate people who. I, I'm sorry, not hate, but I resent people yeah. who who try to cancel someone out mm-hmm. just because of something human about them. Something exactly where they exactly, failed yes. in something where it could. You know, and and it's that idea of um, this, this, the rascal, the sort of sly one, which uh, Kenneth James talks a lot about in relation to um, Jung and Gurdjieff, because I'm also a student of Gurdjieffian mm-hmm. ideas. And, and Gurdjieff is the same way. People, you know, some people consider him like a god-like type of figure, but then other people say, oh, well, he did this bad and he did that bad. And. And but his whole his whole thing was he was he always would say, I'm a human. I do bad things like that's I'm not a God. I'm just, you know, a regular person. Even Jesus said the same thing for crying out loud.
2: Mm.
3: You know? And so when we feel like we can't acknowledge someone's shadow, um, that's that's very detrimental to their idea.
0: Very well put. Well, uh, I am going to bring in some other guests. I don't know if you wanted to stay or if we will end here.
3: I think maybe we should end here. I think this is good.
0: Well, I appreciate this time. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Laura. I just also want to just publicly thank you for your podcast. It's really great. It's really smart. It's an inspiration, and I just love it
0: thank you so much for being so supportive and for listening for your interest and y- you inspire me and I'm going to put ah, links great. to your Instagram. Also, we didn't mention that um, you're, you do some work with the tarot.
3: Yes, I've done tarot readings and I had, I still have an Instagram uh, that uses union idea. Well, I, I talk about the tarot through union ideas, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other. I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about union, the tarot and, and, um, and how interesting that is.
0: Well, I'll put a link to that on the episode page and maybe we'll speak again. Okay, Tim. Wonderful. So great to finally speak with you. Thank you again. Good night. It's
4: Laura. Hey, Laura.
0: Hi, Peter. Hello. Hi. Do you go by Victoria or Vida? Uh,
5: Victoria, really. Victoria, hi. Yes. Hi.
0: Anybody else here?
5: Well, I know Michael is, Is I was just talking to him when you when you messaged me, so I think he's trying to come in. There he is. Okay. Hi. Oh, hey.
0: How do you answer? <laughs> you uh, click um, on oh, Jerry oh, there. Oh. Yeah, this is me. Hi. I'm sorry. Hi. Don't Hello. be sorry. Hi. Could everybody hear me okay?
2: I can't. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. So yeah. all right, great. So there's four of you here. There's John, Victoria, Michael, and Peter. Yes. And somebody's rattling something in the back.
5: I'm innocent. That's not me. Oh, well, I don't think it's me. It's me. I was grabbing a piece of paper. Okay. okay. Um, Hi,
0: guys. So feel free to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I really wanted to have more of a conversation. That's what has been difficult about this podcast, because what I had envisioned is having conversations. Mm. And a lot of these analysts are professors, they're lecturers, they're, they're teachers, and they give presentations and they, they do classes and they teach analysts and training. And so they go on and on and on. And so many times, I'm wondering if the listeners are saying, oh my God, I can't believe she's not asking this, or she's not stopping them. That's one of the most difficult things about it is that I do want to have more of a two-way discussion and it almost never winds up like that. I just let them go because it's about them. It's not about me. Um, I listen to other podcasts and so many times I hear the host talk about what they know and I don't care. I don't care about what the host knows. I want to hear the guest. I want to hear the expert. And so I try not to do that, but then I think, well, people are going to think I don't know what I'm talking about you know people are going to think that i don't understand and then i have to ask questions and then i think people think i don't know this not that i know everything certainly um so it's always awkward there's just always something very awkward about the whole thing
4: well peter here i just wanted to comment that um i understand that you might not be getting to where you thought you were going to go with having a more conversational style with your podcast but Mm -hmm. i personally really value the fact that you do let them talk because it's really refreshing to let them reach the end of their train of thought Mm -hmm. and yes sometimes it's kind of obvious that they're slipping into their shtick from lecture or teaching or whatever but still there's still a lot of quality information and a lot of value
0: yes it is and i'm thinking where else can you find this if if part of the reason why i'm doing this is because not everybody and myself included can attend these lectures and then, yeah, maybe you can download it somewhere, but you're, you're not, I don't know. You're not what I just, I'm trying to make it more personable. Um, and I don't know that I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish and I've wanted to stop so many times, but I can't stop because I just think the information is too important. So I'm going to let you guys talk.
4: Well, I was, I, I was just going to make one more comment. Uh, um, I think that um...
6: – I'm sorry. No, this is. I'm sorry for laughing at it. I understand what you're saying, and it sounds really good. And I think I understand what you're trying to get to I, is my mic working? First of all, yeah, but you know well what? Else? I need okay. to
0: introduce everybody because yeah, I
6: know it's, I know it's your kind of face. Funny, so I'm well, sorry. I don't. I know some of your faces, but I don't know anybody's voice. So, well, that that's the weird thing too, because I I know your voice, so it's almost like I know I yeah. you know <laughs> right. I, I know you better than you know me. Right. And I know Vita from the social media. It's kind of a new phenomenon now, you know you you get to know people on the the media, but then you never really. Meet them face to face until now. I don't even so, know who's you, talking. Is this is John? This is I'm John. sorry. This Hi, is John. John uh, yeah, the only guy that hasn't written a book uh, and <laughs> it's not a professor in uh, in uh, which is a uh, much you know it's quite a quite a thing to be able to do as uh, a union analyst. So anyway, I'm talking. It'd probably be good to to introduce all your folks. So. Let me stop talking, Laura. No, that's okay, you guys, you know,
0: John. About. I haven't I haven't written a book either. So, <laughs> John, you are in out west. Where are you located? If you don't want to say, that's fine.
6: No, no, I'm in Idaho Falls. I moved here a couple of years ago. I I lived in California for quite a long time. Okay, but I've actually bounced back and forth from. Uh, on the coast so yeah I'm in Idaho Falls And
0: John you and I have known each other for a, on Twitter for a long time I remember driving back home from Evanston from attending lectures in Evanston being in the car um I don't drive so somebody else was driving and tweeting from the notes I had just taken and there you are liking the tweets and <laughs> we started doing that years ago like I know 10
6: years ago and it's just gone by like a like a flash. It's yeah. Just, that's, yeah, that is a, it's, it's hard to believe that's 10 years. I know. Yeah.
0: If probably more. Okay. So Peter.
6: <laughs> yep.
0: Peter, are you there? Hi. Do you Hi, want
4: to everybody. introduce yourself? Um, my name is Peter Lackinen. I live in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, I also have not published the book. Um, <laughs> I was um, in a young <laughs> process group for about 10 years and where we, met weekly and uh, interpreted each other's dreams and worked on our stuff all within the framework of Jung's model of the psyche. And um, I'm just, I, I, I self-identify as a Jungian and uh, I discovered Laura however many years ago. Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, and Peter has edited a few episodes of the podcast. So I want to thank you again for that, Peter.
4: Oh, sure. sure. When I was Happy
0: really, thank you. When I was really struggling with sound. Okay. And you're in Florida. Yes, Michael, are you there?
7: I am. Um, I've got uh, my mic muted when I'm not talking. I, I thought I don't know whether that's a good thing or not. It's um, so
0: good to hear your voice.
7: This is brilliant. I've just I'm just sat in my lounge on my sofa with like a big, fat smile on my face. Keep
0: talking. <laughs> Keep uh, talking.
7: Yeah, I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen you guys on Twitter for so for so long, for so long. And um, I was just saying to Victoria with a very very quick chat before we came on because um, uh, I wanted to know whether my mic was working and uh, and to say to say hello first. And like Twitter is great, but it often like it's only when you realise you're going to talk to a bunch of people that you've known for years that you kind of realise that you know it's a it's like a, it's also a defence. The keyboard is like a defence against actually having. A proper emotional interaction with someone, so I'm feeling quite emotional. I, hi. <laughs> hi, hi, hi.
6: That's okay. We'll, well, you can. We'll, we'll listen to you, and you know we'll support you in your. Yeah, your, he uh, has the, written your, book. Your, your, your,
0: your your and he has written a book, and you
6: have written a book.
0: Yes, so. and, and oh, oh yeah, you're, My, you're with friends now. Michael, tell <laughs> us where you are.
7: uh Yeah, so I'm in uh Yorkshire in the UK. Uh, North Allerton, which is a small market town Mm -hmm. near York.
0: Near York. And how far from London is that?
7: Uh, About 200 miles, 250 miles.
0: To the north. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Yeah. yeah, So I'm north of London. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm halfway between London and Edinburgh.
0: And when did you join Twitter? I'm trying to figure out how you and I connected because I I can't ever remember being on Twitter without you.
7: Uh, Yeah. Uh, I think I joined Twitter in 2013.
2: Oh, okay. I think
7: it may be the very end of 2012. Uh, And you were like the third or fourth person that I followed and you followed me back. Uh, So you're part of that initial uh, net of people that held me on Twitter. Mm. Yeah, so that's six years, seven, mm-hmm.
6: like somewhere in Laura, there. Yeah. Laura is pretty transfixing when it comes to her tweets. Uh, I can see how she, she, you know, held your interest. <laughs> Thank you, John. And <laughs> no, Victoria,
0: you're Victoria, you're there. I always thought your name was Vita.
5: But yes, I. I don't know when I when I originally made my Twitter handle, mm-hmm. which was oh, two thousand. Eight or nine. Oh wow! I don't know. I w- I was just trying to be slightly anonymous, but not completely right. at the time.
0: Okay. Okay.
5: And I had no idea that I would have friends on Twitter. Like I I, <laughs> I'm in the middle of no place, uh, and I didn't have any intellectual interchange with anybody around where I was. Right. So, um, Twitter has been for me that it has connected me to many many people, and some I've actually met in real life now. And yeah, so I'm currently just on uh, mm-hmm. Whitehead Island in the Bay of Funday um, off the coast of Maine, actually, but it's part of the province of New Brunswick in Canada. So you're Canada. in
0: Canada. And are you Canadian? Yes.
5: I'm a dual citizen. I'm my, um, I was born in Massachusetts. My mother's American. My mm-hmm. father is Canadian. So, mm-hmm. and I much prefer being Canadian, I have to say, yeah. in these times. I can Pardon, imagine. Par- par- pardon me, Victoria. Um,
4: bay of Fundy, isn't
5: that the one that has
4: the huge colossal tide variation? Yes,
5: yes. The tides here, I'm at the mouth of the Bay of Fundy, so they're about 25 to 28 feet in variation, but up at the head oh, of the bay, they're, they're 50 feet difference. In height. Yes, it's pretty cow. spectacular.
0: I love your photos, Victoria. We all follow each other, right? So the, the photos that you yes. post, I adore. I adore well, thank seeing you. that. And I love it yeah. when when you wake up and you're having a croissant and, and mm. you, you know, you tell us <laughs> that. And I feel like I'm there with you. I don't know. There's just something about all of mm. you. And, you know, I follow like 11,000, 12,000 people. But there's this very, very small group where I just feel i can feel you guys and i know you're there and i feel connected with you just this small That's group awesome. of people and charlie too i wanted charlie to join charlie arthur who's in london yes. but he couldn't tonight so charlie we miss you and i'm thinking of you and he's been part of this small group you know since the beginning yeah. as well so
5: Yes, absolutely.
0: So um, how long have you been there, Victoria? On the um,
5: I'm not sure when I started following you. I know, speaking of Charlie, that I think he and I started following each other, I, I'm thinking 2010. Wow. Um, wow. And I think probably I started following you shortly after that, mm-hmm. I would suspect. But mm-hmm. I, I don't really remember.
6: You know, uh, your... Uh, you're- what you just said, uh, Laura, it reminds me of uh, something that Von Franz talked about. It's a quote from Robert Aziz, and she said that each person gathers around him his own soul family, a group of people not created by accident or by, by mere egoistic motivation, but rather through a deeper, more essential spiritual interest and yes. concern. And I just, I have that quote, just happen to have that quote in a, and that, you know, maybe...
0: What the hell is that sound? That's not
6: mean. Yeah, it sounds like a dog or something. But uh, sometimes I wonder if that's true or not. You know, I do think that some of the people that I've uh, met in my own life, especially the ones that really came into my life that were really uh, significant, you almost kind of have a feeling. You mm-hmm. just have that feeling that, you know, this person is going to be something more special and have more impact on your life although again we're, we're you know we're mostly twitter media but then again we're living in this kind of new age of technology so i guess you just adapt to the the medium that
5: that you're in twi- i think twitter felt a little more intimate that a few years ago too when we all yeah. started we all connected mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah. if that has has something to do with it too, or, or not. In the not. beginning, yeah. right, it, it just, was small. It just seems like it's different now, like I'm yeah. still here and I still interact, but a lot of the people I interact with are the people I did interact with, you know, not. Right, to, right, yeah. And to make as many connections, I don't find now, which might be me and might be just, who knows? <laughs> yeah. That's how I experience it. I'd like to know,
0: some of you are not on Facebook and some of you are, and I really struggle with Facebook. I'm there for other reasons. Mostly it's to connect with people that I know who live overseas. Mm. It's a really easy way to stay connected instead of using the phone or email. Um, And then there are big groups there um, with other interests that I have. And then companies too, where you can like the company's Facebook page. So I can keep up with what's going on with restaurants or events really. Um, but I do have a presence on Facebook because there are some people that are not on Twitter and they're only on Facebook. And I don't know them as well. Um, I Tend to not accept friend requests from anybody unless I know them on Facebook. Um, but I, 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 want speaking of youing to have a presence there, right? Right. Um. So,
6: I. I like. Go ahead. I like. No, I like Facebook because I use it more as a visual. I like the, mm-hmm. you know, because you get a lot bigger visual page. Uh, visual medium than the 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 twitter where it's you know just more one-liners that you're coming out with and maybe quick dialogue but both are very limited as far as you know social interaction Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a bit unfortunate and i you know lately something that vita just said and i've known Vita for a while too but it's only been through uh twitter and uh you know it's 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 a limited medium it's like trying to go on you're on a diet of uh you know, it's just a limited diet, but it's so comfortable. You can like, uh, uh, it's so comfortable. You can just do it in your living room yeah. in your pajamas, yeah. and it's easy to do. And you could see the, uh, you know, the next generation—they're really hooked to it because it's so easy. Mm-hmm. And people don't go out as you know. I, I guess I'm getting into another topic here, but the the Facebook too. I I I like you, Laura. I use it for for. I don't use both mediums the mm-hmm. same. No, so I see what same. you're saying.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. So. Um so Michael, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to also mention that you also post a lot of photos that I love. I love seeing where you live. And uh, I, I do. Yeah, I don't do that. Um I'm not I don't know. I'm just there's mm. certain things I'm comfortable with and certain things I'm not comfortable <laughs> with and I'm I yeah. get I get a little afraid, I have to say, because of the podcast, I have a lot of people write to me from all different places, all over the world, but then I have people here in Chicago write to me, and it kind of freaks me out a little bit because I'm in the city of Chicago I'm walking around, I'm in Whole Foods, I'm in restaurants, I'm in the gym, and I'm looking around sometimes, (laughs) I'm thinking, you know, so.
6: Are they, yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered what it would be like to be, I mean, one of the downsides of being a public, or even famous, is just exactly that. You know, the more you throw yourself into the public light, the more you're, you know, you're open to, you know, possible things that you wouldn't want to deal with normally right I don't espe-
0: especially saying something controversial uh or something that somebody would oppose
2: mm-hmm.
0: so michael i want to yeah. hear about how your life has changed since you've had your book published <laughs>
7: yeah. um well just to backtrack a little bit this is kind linked to what you're saying um about facebook i've managed to totally avoid facebook yeah um I, I created an account. Well, twice I created an account, and both times that account stayed open for about a day. Oh. <laughs> and um, <laughs> at the time, um, you had to put in—you you had to put in your school, and you had to put in places you'd worked, like the bare basics. This is like seven or eight years ago, and within hours, there were pe- people that I was desperate to not ever be in touch with again following me.
0: <laughs> oh, is
2: that right? <laughs>
7: Uh, and I just thought, "Oh hell, this is not for me." So I just immediately deleted my account. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been my experience. And then because I've not been, I've had no investment with, in, on, on Facebook at all. I've not had to for my work. Um, it's turned out to be more and more uh, kind of evil. <laughs> um, and there's so much about it that scares me. Uh, how the data is used, right. well, that whole topic. That whole topic. Oh, yeah. So. I've kind of sidestepped all that, uh, and Twitter, as you probably remember, I've spent most of my time on Twitter being anonymous. Uh, I've tried several accounts, this is kind of how I got, how I cracked my writer's block was partly through Twitter.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, so, I, I love Twitter. Twitter's like my, my go-to favourite social media.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, and uh, how my life's changed since, Not no, hardly at all. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I've been published by a prestigious in the UK, but very small independent publisher, which means that I get kudos amongst fellow writers, but I don't sell, uh, well, I don't know how many I've sold yet, but I won't sell many copies. So the degree of people knowing wait, me. Wait, is wait, still wait a
0: minute. Stop, stop. Small. What is that? Yeah. Accelerators? What does that mean?
7: Uh, I, that's I think my, that's my accent. I didn't say accelerators, but I'm not sure what. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure what. <laughs> I was,
0: what did he say, <laughs> you guys?
7: I'm not sure what uh, I was saying. Uh,
6: Lucinators or incinerators? Maybe. Oh God! Not, no, just
7: kidding.
6: Uh, just kidding.
7: So my my accent is oh, Welsh. Yeah, I was going to ask
0: it's... you about your accent. <laughs> I thought it was Scottish. It's Welsh. Uh, yeah,
7: I... You know. <laughs> um, I'm Welsh. My Parents both <laughs> Welsh. I was brought up in Wales. But I live, I live in Yorkshire, so I've had to speak with a more English accent so people can understand me over time, and now it's somewhere in between.
4: What's the name of your book, Michael?
7: Uh, it's called The Complex, which is very Jungian in, in its, uh, yes. <laughs> in a way, and yet, and yet not.
0: And it's a novel, and it was published by yeah. Salt this past summer. It was. And I was went, so proud. I couldn't have been more proud, as uh, if Michael you were my Walter. own.
4: <laughs> Michael Walters.
0: Yes. That's oh, me. I didn't. I know I didn't properly introduce everybody. Like I said, I wanted this to be casual, but I think I went a little too casual. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So tell us more. So um, you, yeah, tell us what it. It was obviously a long journey and a long time in the making, and you said that michael Michael, um was so gracious that he mentioned me in the acknowledgments, which when I saw that, I just burst out crying. I mean, I've never been so touched, honestly by anything, yeah, it meant I mean, so much to me. It means so much to me. Um, I still can't believe yeah, I mean,
7: it you I mean, um like we were saying about Twitter being like I find Twitter is often. Uh, as connecting as it is it's also a a safe barrier and um, like we've never spoken before but at at the at at the same time in the background your daily tweets like so many of um, little bits of that book um, were sparked perhaps by a bunch of tweets I'd read and your tweets were always in the background and thinking about um, Jungian concepts and thinking about um, co- what well, co- yeah? I didn't know what a complex was right. until I started following you, and then following up on some of the tweets you were saying. But, so you've you know, you've given me an education, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and so you've been in the
2: the whole
4: time. D-O, same same here, same here. I mean, just the, the daily tweets are just fantastic. They're always Thank inspiring, you. and 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 it's amazing how sometimes how they just connect in that synchronistic way. It's yeah. like wow, I really needed to see that today, and I didn't yeah. even know it.
0: Yeah you know I, yeah. I i i do those tweets if i'm being honest i do them for myself to keep hmm. myself steeped in the material and then i thought it would feel so much better if i were to share them and this started yeah. when i first got on twitter i want to share them with other people because it's just no fun if it's just me so yeah, do you remember when Twitter was only 140 characters? Yes, oh <laughs> well, yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It was kind of yeah. it was uh,
2: it's like a that was my training.
6: Muscle, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, for your wow, yeah, that was your training. Wow.
7: Yeah, I mean, um, having to having to work within limits, uh, you know, and I, I haven't really thought about this until n- until now, but um, one of the reasons that. That that the style of the book is lots of uh, short sentences, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know that's just Twitter. That's (laughs) that's that's Twitter's influence.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. So that made it difficult to quote Jung because
2: some of us, and so (laughs) the yeah, you, you wrestled with that, didn't you?
0: Yeah. So many times I couldn't fit something, and so I was. There was something called Twit Longer, which was yes, just atrocious. Remember that, remember that? Because right. it was full yeah. of ads, pop-up yeah. ads. and
6: I used to do the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. just the urge to, to quote something that I'd come across. and It was a lot of fun quoting it, but you didn't want it to go across uh, multiple things. You just wanted one, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I wanted to all uh, be there on the screen.
6: Right, so yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. I also remember you tweeting out, I don't know, a while back, they said, Boy, I just really dislike all these, you know, kind of like these stock union quotes that we always get. And you said, uh, You know, I'm just going to, you know, my quotes come right from the book. You know, I'm reading it and here's the quote. Mm -hmm. And that was what was great about uh, following you is you would have these, uh, you know, you would be reading the book and then you would quote it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was kind of going along with what you were reading at the time. And I know. Based on um, you know listening to a lot of your podcasts, that you would prepare quite a bit for each of your podcasts. You would read the mm-hmm. read a lot of the material apparently because I always thought you were really well prepared for. Oh, your thank podcast. you for saying that. Yeah, I yeah, never. I never.
0: Of- no, I just was going to say I never felt like I was prepared enough. I would always say to myself, "You know, I wish <laughs> I had like the guys that." went to the moon, they asked him, you know, are you ready? And they said, you know, we really wish we had another month. Right. The, the night before every podcast that, that I'm going to record, I, w- I say, I wish I had another week.
6: Well, uh, it kind of kind of reminds me of when they asked Michelangelo when he'd be done. You know, it's that famous thing. Where they asked Michelangelo when he'd be done with the Sistine Chapel. And he said, I'll never be done. I'll just stop at some point. Mm. You know, you know, that kind of <laughs> you're never be done.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It's
6: like like that old adage
4: about how books aren't finished, they're abandoned.
6: Yeah, right. Exactly. You gotta, gotta stop it. But, uh, yeah, that's, but you still went forward with it, Laura.
0: Had to, had to, there, there's some unseen force that's pushing me to do (laughs) this, but you know, right now I, I'm, I, and this has been, it's been getting worse and worse. I'm having a really hard time booking guests. Nobody wants to speak publicly. Um, And I've had countless people agree and then disappear.
2: I mean, these these are
0: psychologists. They're psychologists. You're going to not respond to my email?
7: Wow. What do you think it is?
0: It's something that I've been thinking about for four years since (laughs) this started. Since this started, I... And I, 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 hope none of them are listening to this. Uh, I, I can't imagine that they would, but.
7: Um, you can cut this bit out. You're in charge. I,
0: I, I can cut this bit out, right? Uh, it's,
6: I. I kind of like going on a lot of dates, and none of the women want to, you know, see me for like a second date.
0: Yeah, and a lot. Like, it's it's, it's yeah. horrible. I, yeah, I've been there.
6: Believe me, so. you've been
0: there. Yeah, Some so, of them have looked it, me in the
6: eye. Or you can say, "Beat it." Vita's been so quiet. Uh, well, it's, I, I well, Yeah. You, t- t- tell I me just your gonna
0: thoughts. Say that
5: I've, I've, I've found, it, like just because they're psychologists, even Jungian <laughs> psychologists, <laughs> I, doesn't seem to mean that they're necessarily as mature as you would think I mean, <laughs> they are. Because I, I I have I, my presence on Twitter, I have I don't tend to say anything inflammatory, but I have several times mm. been blocked for some minor infraction
0: really by a whole oh, yeah. really?
5: psychologist really? and i think to so, myself, you have to be wow kidding me and i uh-huh. deleted there
2: wow <laughs> but anyway,
4: yeah I, Look, I mean laura and i had this conversation because i realized that someone who followed her had me blocked oh. and i had no idea why oh. remember that laura
0: somebody oh. who followed you me yeah. Oh. had blocked me. Right, I remember that. And I was
4: like really confused. I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. I don't even know who this person is. So <laughs> Right, right.
6: Mm. Yeah, it's using Twitter is like, you know, trying to, you know, bike with one, one two fingers. <laughs> I mean it's just really it's a limited I mean it's a great social media. I've got a lot out of it, but again I've got a I haven't got a lot out of it. I feel like you kind of deprive yourself the more you use it in a way. I've been trying to pull myself away from it recently. So yeah,
0: I gosh. sometimes have to walk away and that's yeah. what I do. I just walk away and then I come mm. back and everything's fresh again. Mm. but um, I do look for all you guys and um, oh, you know I it it's comforting comforting to know that you're there um, and what I was gonna say about these guests that okay, I get a lot of emails from people who suggest guests, and I still get – there's two (laughs) things. (laughs) Uh, You know what's coming. I still get (laughs) requests to interview people who are not Jungian analysts, but they're not saying, well, I know this person's not a Jungian analyst, but – the, inter- the, the the podcast is about Jungian analysts. Why you want me to right. interview somebody who's not a Jungian <laughs> analyst? And and I mean no disrespect to those people. It's just not what this is about.
6: All and right. Then,
0: and then, okay, so even though somebody, okay, so let's just say they suggest somebody who is a Jungian analyst. I've never heard of, or I'm not interested. I can't, I'm not going to interview them because of the amount of time that I have to put into each episode. Mm-hmm. It has to be something I'm interested in. It well, takes a lot of time to put an episode much, together. How much?
6: How much time do you do you actually spend? I mean, on average, uh, I you mean, know, what's I've, the most you yeah,
0: spend? I've, ne- I've never, I've never calculated it, but the amount of time communicating with the guest, collecting the information, the bio, I write all those bios myself. That's right. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't just cut and paste a bio that they send me, I, and I want it as long as possible. But you know what? I get criticized for everything. The intros are too long. the The bio on the page is too long. The show notes are too long. Um, right. Well, they can just what? not
5: bother listening. I know. Why do you tell me? <laughs> Seriously,
0: why do you tell me? And so Michael, I'm, I'm. Wow. Michael, I'm interested in what your experience was with your book. Um, and with critics, I'm sure that the majority of the reviews have been positive. Have you encountered any? I don't know anybody criticizing it, the way you do things.
7: Uh, no. I don't no, like. Um, I'm answer.
6: glad. I'm, I'm so glad. No, just kidding.
7: No. I think. Um. Uh, I've not had many reviews. Um, I'll be honest. I don't know how well the book's doing. I've, everyone who seems to have read the book seems to be following me on Twitter, which mm-hmm. is good, which is mm-hmm. which is awesome. But it also, I think that Twitter is how people are finding out about the book. Um, and outside of Twitter, I have I've no numbers. So I don't know whether it's because I'm also a man that I get a different experience. In fact, I'm sure that must be part of it. Um, but I don't get any. I don't get any feedback on how I do anything, uh, and I don't know if some of that is because some of my tweets can also be, as you know, a bit more um, um, obtuse.
2: Right. I, I'm,
7: I Very often, I'll tweet about things that I, I make a point of not making about my life. Often,
2: right.
7: I've had I've done more of that since I've been had to go into slightly more marketing mode, I suppose, this last year.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, but I've seen no negative uh come back on that right. yet
2: <laughs> okay
0: that's good to hear <laughs> but, uh, and,
7: uh, are you but i don't have many followers
0: well no i meant i meant not just so much on twitter but as far as you wrote a book and it's published and i know you've been out there you've done um book signings right and you've done some yeah. speaking and there have yeah. been some reviews written and i just was wondering how, we, what you know what that's been like is is it has that been well uh-huh do
7: you know i mean it's i mean it, it's 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 been humbling because i've done three book signings and in the first book signing in my hometown mm-hmm. i arranged to make sure that at least 10 people showed up because mm-hmm. i told them show up and they did <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and,
7: then I, and then i sold and then i sold five more copies just because people were passing and then I did another signing a week later in a town about ten miles north, and I didn't you know nobody was interested. Uh, so nobody came, nobody came. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
7: Nobody came, and I was prepared for that. So uh, I liked it. Maybe five years ago, maybe hell, even two years ago, I'd have felt like humiliated, uh, and it would have felt awful. But it was kind of it was kind of weirdly it wasn't it wasn't unpleasant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. I, I I knew that there's no marketing around it. There's um, there's no there's no there's no national marketing campaign. Uh, I I couldn't even get anything in the local newspaper. So literally nobody knew who I was. Um, and I think that's to answer your question. I think part of it is I just do not have the level of uh, of interest, you know,
0: mm. to be honest. Well, I think you will because you're a brilliant, I hope brilliant so, writer. <laughs> you're a brilliant well, thank writer, you. and the book is brilliant and um I've, I think so as well uh, yes and I've I've added links to it on a couple of the episode pages and it will be on this episode page so and this is just your first book there will be others
7: yeah and you've been so supportive I really appreciate everything I mean yeah <laughs> um,
0: I'm happy to I feel I feel fun. I feel part of it you know I feel like I'm yeah. part of it, which I love.
7: You are actually part of it.
5: I think maybe <laughs> we all do. I know. Yeah. I I feel I feel like I'm a part of it too. You know, yeah. just yeah, the yeah. and watching him do it. You know, and I haven't. i bought the book, and I'm so proud of myself for doing it too. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I bought the, I, I just I haven't had time to read it. But anyway, I, yeah. I,
7: I was supposed to send you a copy signed, but um, I know. But I,
5: I really wanted to buy it. I really, (laughs) and I was, I was giggling to myself when it arrived, and I had it, and you didn't know. Yes. Oh, right. I saw. I I did read read the first chapter of it, and it read beautifully. I just haven't had. I I teach grade two, and I basically my my job takes takes me over. You're a second grade teacher. Yeah. Well, I am current. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I, and it, it tends to absorb my whole being sometimes. So, up until a couple <laughs> of years ago, I, I just supply taught because I hadn't been able to get a job. Um, time. You wait time a minute. You just what? Supply. Or supply substitutes. Oh, supply. Oh. Substitute. Yeah. yeah.
6: I thought you were like a truck driver or something like.
5: That.
2: <laughs> <laughs> supply boxes <laughs> or something.
6: What, <laughs> what? from? That's my
2: brother. My brother does that, he's that shit crazy.
6: Oh, okay, okay. Okay. I'm sorry (laughs) to interrupt. Not at all,
0: not at all. And Peter, are you still there? I am. Peter, what do you do?
4: Uh, As little as possible. Yeah, me Uh,
6: too. (laughs) That's my philosophy. (laughs)
2: Yes.
4: Um, my wow. day job is I'm a, uh, I'm one of those internet geeks. I connect websites to databases for complex oh. registration systems.
2: Mm-hmm. And, oh, that's um... my job.
7: That's my job, too.
0: <laughs> is it? Re- yeah, you, you, Michael, what...
7: Sorry, I don't want to steal. No, I'm sorry, Peter, go on. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I'm also a software developer connecting databases to uh, software. Yeah. Awesome. That's, cool. But, that's, how I, that's how I live in a mm-hmm. living.
4: Sweet. Yeah. Right, we gotta be careful not to start
7: geeking out on her. Yeah. Sorry, Peter.
4: Go on. <laughs> oh no, no, no problem. Um, and then uh, when I'm not uh, working on client projects, um, I do a variety of different art. Uh, for the last few years, I've been obsessed with uh, letterpress printing, and uh, um, uh, currently I'm experimenting with monoprints in uh, various forms. So, but I also do painting and drawing. I, I, I and
5: paint. I paint, too. too. Oh, that's oh, wow. fantastic.
4: Yeah,
7: I, I was going to say.
5: Yeah.
4: And, and uh, another lifetime ago, Victoria's I, paintings I, I, I taught electronic and computer music at Florida State for five years, and so that's why oh, wow. I was uh, wow. more than happy and more than capable to uh, to help Laura when she needed a little help uh, yes, editing her podcasts. You.
0: Yeah, that was great. So, John, how about you? What are you up to these days?
6: Up to, uh, well, let's see. I, I swim. Mm-hmm. I I play piano. Oh, that's right, you do. I've been learning to play mm-hmm. piano. That's uh, let me tell you, you're, you're, everything's, you everything's, you know, you're you're trying to read these notes and you got to use both both hands. Both
0: hands. That's the hard part. And then
6: and then you got timing, and then you got the the feet. So that's been my um, artistic output. I um, haven't done a lot of drawing, but yeah. I also have a, a computer background too so i guess we have all that in common except for vita i guess vita did you do any no, computer uh, no computers well, at all
5: well i have a computer and i use yeah. one <laughs> for programming right. I anything. then uh, no no I, I get in a fight with my work computer on a regular basis
0: <laughs> no but victoria how how are you interested in Jung? how did Jung come into your
2: life
5: well, I grew up with it. My father was crazy, and he okay. went through analysis, and okay. he dropped out of life, and he, I, I grew up listening to my mother and father read real to each other.
2: Read real to Sorry.
5: each
0: other. You guys, you guys, That's I love nice. you guys, but whatever that noise is, got to cut it out.
6: That was not me. It was, I don't know who that is.
0: So just mute, good, your, um, mute your <laughs> mic. Nukes, yeah. Yeah, if you're running water or... or...
6: That must be. uh, That's not me. No, it was me. Guilty.
4: Okay. Yeah, just just
0: mute the mic. Do you know how to do that? Absolutely. Great. Sorry. Wait a minute. Your dad was crazy, and your mom and dad read Jung to each other.
5: Yes. Were they trying
0: to help each
5: other? No, I. They they both my. My father. Um, he grew up when it was cool to go after the money, work-wise, and he went through. He was an engineer, went to MIT, all that stuff. He mm-hmm. he got the job, the big job. He was making the money, and it didn't make him happy. As I said, probably because he was crazy too. Okay. But so he ended up in Jungian analysis through, of course, a whole. You know, I could go on for hours, but um, and I'll then Just- he started. Trying to, to straighten himself out, he ended up meeting my mother, who was his third wife, and I grew up traveling in a nomadic way around the United States and Canada in the in a bus, homeschooled, and listening to my parents ring, re, read Jung to each other. Okay. Obviously, this is an extremely shortened version of the whole thing,
2: right, but right. yeah.
5: So I I basically grew up with Jung as a presence.
0: But but it was a positive presence.
5: Yes, although I had a somewhat skewed view of Jung because my father tended to use Jung's ideas <coughs> in a twisted way to back himself up. Okay. And it wasn't until later in life when I would gotten away from... He was extremely controlling and etc. When I had left home and gone through a sort of a dark time I had kids that it's not because of the kids that it was dark but Mm -hmm. just a whole I came back around to Jung and started reading him on my own Mm -hmm. and he started making a whole lot more sense not that he Mm -hmm. hadn't before but as I said my my father had it somewhat twisted and he's been Jung has been an extremely important to me like from the time well at about 10 years ago really when okay. I sort of started to oh. take note of where I was and what was happening and what was wrong and start to figure myself out
2: right. it was and I've fun. read
5: a lot a lot of young since then and I mean I, I wasn't in a position to go into analysis and I didn't really need it in a way because mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't in a I wasn't unable to deal right I just needed I just I just needed help and right. and Jung was extremely helpful as well as I have to say people on Twitter honestly Twitter and the people you and Michael and uh, everybody that I've met yeah. there just and it just little things. It's right. it's extremely surprising how important in a dark time just being able to message somebody and have mm. like Charlie Arthur, for instance, has always answered me yeah. when I've messaged him. Through times when you know just and it not not a big conversation, right. just a reply Yeah. Could make the difference. Yeah. And I agree. That's lovely. It's, that it's lovely. Been, yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. as I said, there's a whole lot. There's about a one billion tangents from that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure. No, I like anyway. this because, yeah, because this is hearing from people how young, how Jungian Twitter has. Affected their lives and that's something that I don't really get to talk about on the podcast So I appreciate all of you sharing that with me Um, I don't think the podcast would exist if it weren't for the support of You guys um, my friends the listeners I Wouldn't I wouldn't have kept doing it. It's so difficult to get people to get analysts to agree to do this it's so difficult and I hesitate to complain although I didn't just I just spewed it all out there but I hesitate to complain because I had somebody tweet me when I I guess I I was having a moment of weakness a couple years ago or maybe it was last year last summer and I tweeted something about how difficult these episodes have been and she tweeted me back and she told me to stop complaining and to just do my job.
6: Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing that I really dislike about, like I said, that's just Twitter is not a, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's just as it's like trying to, it's has, it's good, but it has its downside. I think really outweighs it's, It's some of its good sides, you know, those
5: those things are those things are from those people. Like, yeah, but sometimes
0: I have to say, just like how we were somebody was saying before how I'll tweet like maybe the random young quote of the day. And they're like, you know, I, I really needed to hear that today. And I get that. But when somebody who I don't even know. Um, yeah. write something like that, right. I think,
6: do I... You don't so, even know them. Right, yeah. but, but do I need to hear this? Well, do that's I- the thing. Is like, for example, you know, I've known you and Vita now, you know, through Twitter, but I'm really getting to know you better now with this voice interaction that you just want to get through Twitter. And so, mm-hmm. again, if you if you get a message from someone you don't even know, what you're really dealing with is your own projections, right? You, you know what they're saying, but you really don't know this person, right? So what you're really dealing with is whatever comes into your head unconsciously from whatever that person said at that time. And it, it, it's going to hurt. Obviously, it—that it, you, you had to deal with a lot. I guess um, Michael would know more about this because this person hit a complex of yours, Right. When, when, you know, if if you're talking about it now, but uh, I don't know. I'm going on.
0: No, I, on. what <laughs> I'm saying is that that this person didn't know me, and I don't know them. Mm-hmm. But what yeah. they said really stuck with me because right. it. I don't know. Do I do I give myself enough room? Do I give myself the room, not enough room, but the room to complain? Not publicly, I probably shouldn't. Not a good idea because, and I use Mm -hmm. the word should, because when you do, you open yourself up to Mm -hmm. feedback like that. So maybe unconsciously, I was asking for it and I got it. Stop complaining and do your job.
6: Well, the public thing is a whole different arena. I mean, I'm not familiar with it at all. I I avoid it like the plague. Mm -hmm. I had a taste of it a bit, but you're right. You have to deal with different things when you you decide you're going to go out in the Public limelight. I mean, there's a lot of downsides to it that you have to work. Uh,
7: I think what you just said there, Laura. I think
2: mm-hmm. I think that's
7: yeah. a really, it's a really, uh, it feels like quite a good, good, It feels like a real insight because yeah, when somebody when somebody is critical and you don't know them
2: mm-hmm.
7: rationally, it shouldn't matter,
2: mm-hmm. right?
7: But of course, you of course you project onto them. Whatever, because you know, whatever triggers you, and then you've got to handle the emotional uh, whatever follows, which you have to handle, which is energy which you now have to waste on handling. <laughs> <So the> <laughs> <thing>.
2: <laughs> but it, it's also
7: a, it's also a learning if you can spot it, I suppose. But that doesn't mean you don't like hate it, because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know life's short and you don't want to be wasting energy on. Uh, you just wanted to have a little complaint because who doesn't?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
7: yeah, it doesn't seem fair, does it?
0: Mm. Well, it makes me think of something my analysts used to say to me all the time is the first thing to ask yourself is, is this true? Is this true for mm. me?
6: Oh, wow. And,
0: and uh. yeah, it was, it was true for me. Um, yeah. if I want to complain about how hard this is, I need to do that. I need to contain that and not put it out there publicly. Because when, when you do that, you're going to open yourself up to comments and, That's why also another thing about Facebook is I don't want a discussion and I've had to block people because they will write people I don't know will write comments. And the reason why I'm not okay with that is because this is my timeline that I'm creating to promote the podcast and people who I don't know are spewing their stuff right there and kind of contaminating it and i just want it to be clean i just want to be promoting the podcast and not have some randoms thoughts in there so oh we lost victoria i hope she's okay oh yeah, we did oh there, oh, she,
2: there
0: is. she is hi <laughs> sorry, we I, noticed I, we I, lost you
5: yeah sorry i just i just hit a button here and anyway here. <laughs> off you go
0: and you're back i'm glad right. you're back so it's um I, I also wanted to talk to all of you guys about groups and are you involved in Jungian groups and what your experience of them has been Peter, you mentioned something about being in a dream group?
4: Well, I was in a young uh, uh, i I've always uh, I think we called it a Jungian process group process group. Um, yeah i I had a uh, an incredibly synchronistic sequence of events that led me to discover this guy uh, here in Tallahassee named Bob Johnson, who had relocated from Homestead after uh, Hurricane Andrew.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, he uh, is a Jungian analyst, not Zurich trained. It's not, never been clear to me exactly how he got his credentials, but he certainly walks the walk, talks the talk and walks the walk. Okay. And, uh, and he was giving a presentation at Borders, and um, I... Uh, um, Joined one of his groups, and he he liked the group environment. He thought it was most conducive for Jungian work, and um, uh, so there were five to ten of us that met weekly for ten years.
2: Wow! And, and that was we inter- helpful.
4: Oh, incredibly so, oh, incredibly great. so. Mm. And uh, and Bob, Bob was also is also a Gnostic, so I was also introduced oh, to nice. Gnosticism along oh, the way. Yeah. So, which which just changed everything for me. So, Mm. Mm. and, um, so yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. And what was really interesting for me is that I entered it as a skeptic because what I knew of young, I had learned from one psychology class in in college at the time, but, but I was curious yeah, and I saw, I was willing to give it a chance. And like for the first four or five weeks, I hardly said anything. I just kind of listened to people talk about their dreams and, um, and watched bob interpret them and um and one night i had a dream i I couldn't even tell you what what it was because there have been so many since but but i had this dream that i was just convinced was gonna stump bob because i couldn't make any (laughs) sense of it whatsoever and i come in and i'm so proud of myself i lay out the stream totally expecting him to uh to just say i got nothing (laughs) <laughs> but he, he, he completely broke down the symbolism of the dream and the different aspects of my psyche that it represented and then tied it into to some things that he had learned about me over the month that I'd been attending. That's, a, that's absolutely
6: a, blew my mind. It, that's the scary part about union. Uh, yeah, is that, you know, a dream you can't even understand and right. then they just uh, yeah. go in and yeah. boom, you yeah. know, yeah. and it's that's it's very powerful.
4: Yeah, Bob Bob's particular specialty is dream interpretation, and that that yep. was always where he excelled. And just his his ability to, and I've so I've copious I've notebooks full of notes on the, the different ways he would like approach dream interpretation. Like, All right. You know, one one of the things that always sticks with me is sometimes sometimes dreams are backwards, and the story doesn't make any sense until you until you, you think about okay, what what if I just invert the timeline. And all of Hmm. a sudden the dream makes sense. It's amazing how many times I saw that happen and something, something much rarer, but, but I still saw happen over the 10 years. That was interesting that I think this is one of the things that can only happen in a group environment is where you would see one person in a group having a dream that actually belonged to someone else. Mm -hmm. Those, those were, those were really weird moments.
6: I think, um, Jung split from Freud because he had a dream. Uh, you know, the peevish, uh, Customs official wasn't uh, what that was one of the things that made him move away from Freud was a dream. I mean, of course, dreams are at the the heart of much of union union theory. Well, I don't know if it's true,
4: but but there's that that scene that you you guys have seen. If you've seen the danger, a dangerous method. There's Mm -hmm. that moment when they're on the boat and they're Freud interprets his Young's dream. But then, when Jung wants to interpret Freud's dream, he turns him away and has he has some snide comment.
6: I think it was a it was an argument over incest dream. It was you know incest tends to be a very religious kind of mythology, and Jung uh, there had been some dream about incest, and uh, uh, Freud had this entirely different interpretation, wow. and Jung, Jung completely disagreed with it. And then he, he then later on he decided to he was writing a book. And he knew before he finished the book that this would be where he would part ways with Freud, that, you know, Freud wouldn't uh, accept uh, his interpretation of this particular dream. Laura, jump in here if, if, you, if you think I'm saying no, this wrong. I, honestly,
0: I don't even remember. I well, I, I just, I I am having yeah. memory issues a- and...
6: With the memory, well, memories, memories, <laughs> memories, dreams, and reflections. I mean, the the thing, the one thing that started was Jung had asked uh, Freud about uh, his thoughts on precognition and, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, paranorm- paranormal, the paranormal at the time. Mm. Yeah, at the time, and it's it's an MDR and freud at the time was very materialistic based i guess a skeptic like like you were peter right 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 and and he and and freud's psychology was very much based on you know this reductionist materialism you know everything can be derived and the unconscious is kind of a derivation mm-hmm. of the past and jung was looking at the dreams and he wasn't seeing it at all and uh, one of the big that was the starting point was they had a very strong disagreement over uh, the paranormal the, uh, and precognition. I mean, if you look at Jung's work and many people that have studied Jungian psychology, precognitive dreams come up quite a bit, right? And you can't, you can't ignore it the more you, you look at it. And, um, so, and, then, and then later on, he had this dream. Which they, you know, about incest that they completely, you know, Freud would not accept the spiritual aspect of the incest, uh, which uh, which Jung brought into his particular uh, interpretation of the dream, and it did eventually lead with lead them to, uh, you know, part ways. And as soon as, ways, yeah. yeah, and as soon as Jung did publish that, all his friends and Acquaintances is just uh, fell away from him. He writes that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it,
0: it, it just it amazes me because w- one of the first things I remember learning in analysis is to make room for everything, and mm. and I this is just going back also to I think what we were talking about earlier about block being blocked by a Jungian analyst or a Jungian psychologist on Twitter. Mm where's the acceptance of making room for for all views and all thoughts and all ideas make room for it doesn't mean you need to get on board with it just say okay thank you for sharing and move on
6: well i guess maybe you know i mean i'm not playing the devil's advocate um you kind of do that on facebook when you kind of block people you kind of say well this is not what i want to hear maybe that's what they're thinking when they blog Vita or whoever, they just don't, you know, you kind of have to have this defensive, uh, you know, we all have this kind of defensive uh, thing that we use to socially, you know, what's socially acceptable in my circle and what isn't. And obviously mm-hmm. we, we sometimes right. make mistakes, right? You know, we don't, that's the problem with Twitter is you judge too quickly. Right. Mm. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know you guys. if you want to chime in here. I'm, mm-hmm. you
5: know, That's
6: my. Well, I think
5: there's a lot of attack. So I mean, if they're if they're blocking quickly, it may be because they're used to it and they just don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But they don't Mm -hmm. look at where it's coming from or exactly what was said. You know, because it
0: it takes a lot for me to block somebody. Uh, It has to be something pretty, pretty blatant. Um, Not just a comment that I don't like. Mm -hmm.
6: Yeah, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. not just a comment. but maybe that's, there. there's a maybe a kind of a similar psychology going on there. If you see what I'm saying, you know, that's so, I mean, when I block someone, uh, you know, I just, I don't want to hear from him anymore. Maybe I do it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you get fed Probably, up, right? Yeah, you get fed up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else that we haven't covered that anybody wanted to say? Um, we're coming up on an hour. That's about the maximum I can... Handle. Um
5: I start I to I personally get... would just like to thank you very much for the podcast. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. It's like having a friend sometimes. I particularly like listening to it when I'm taking off on a road trip on my own. Oh I and love that. I, I thank line you. I line I line up Laura London podcasts and set out <laughs> on the road. And anyway, it's it's delicious. And
0: I, I appreciate that.
5: I'm glad you exist. I'm glad
0: you exist too, Victoria. Thank you. Um, I couldn't you know, and and wouldn't do this without the listeners. And I just want to say that, um, you know, that concept of paying it forward. I don't know if that's hokey or corny, but um, I started listening to podcasts when podcasts first started existing. There was a show, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of it called Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, a late night AM radio show. Oh, I started listening it, listening to it in the mid-90s. I mean, it was worldwide on, on, on um, terrestrial radio and then on the internet radio. But anyway, uh, it kept me company. And then other podcasts that I started listening to in the early 2000s kept me company when I needed to do things where I didn't have to think. You know, if you're just doing things with your hands, if you're driving or Mm. working on something or doing housework or ironing, you know, stuff like that, I want to be able to listen to something. Mm. So there's so many podcasts that I listened to before I I created my own. And I just saw need um, because there's a lot of, somebody said this to me the other day, there's a lot of, um, he said, there's a lot of pseudo Jungians on the internet, something like that.
5: And I think some of the, even the Jungians themselves are pseudo. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, but I just
0: can't
2: help it. No, I, I, I,
0: it drives me crazy, and that's why I made the stipulation to only interview Jungian analysts. And yeah, I've I've gone off that path a couple times, and I usually regret it when I do. But what I try to what I try to uh, emphasize is all of the training that a Jungian analyst has to undergo in order to become one. And so it's not just what they know when they speak, it's the amount of work they've done on themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the point that I think gets lost. And then I need to point out more and more and more. This isn't just book knowledge. This is that they've, they've done the work on themselves too. Right. So, yeah, so um, I'm just gonna keep trying to get these people. Um, again, I, I actually
2: well, you have to remember. Go on. Uh-huh. Oh, go ahead. oh,
6: go ahead, Mike.
7: <laughs> well, um, I was just gonna say that even uh-huh. though it's a pain, it's a pain in the ass to get yeah. these people on. Often, um, you've got 50 of them. Yeah. It's like you've netted you've netted 50 young analysts. Yeah. <laughs> so you should, celebrate, you should celebrate that. Really,
6: <laughs> that is something.
0: Well, thank you for that. Um some of them were not I have to say some of them were not my choice. Some of them uh I I some of some some were more difficult than others, but um yeah, you're right. It 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 added up, didn't it? It added up and and it, and and I want to just keep reminding people that it's about them. It's not about me. It's a, I'm just kind of the messenger providing the platform for them to speak and You know, I was listening to some of them today um, that I had forgotten, like Fred Gustafson and Frith Luton and John Dorley. And I thought, whoa, wow, Wow. this is good stuff. And I didn't realize it at the time because I had to worry about my microphone and my notes and is the um, the person living above me going to start vacuuming? you know, and yes. the sirens outside. And so and I'm watching the computer and making sure everything's still running. And sometimes I'm missing what they're saying right. because of that. So, and I just kicked my microphone stand. So uh.
6: um, I had a question for mm-hmm. you, Laura. Sure. Because um, you, you wanted us, us that, uh, you, you, you commented before that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can you ask some questions? So I, you know, I've been following you f- for many years now. Uh, for 10 years i guess wow and i've been listening to all the, the podcasts so when you you started this out and for whatever reasons you started it out now it's been this long and you've interviewed 50 um analysts amazing people you know that p- people that have worked on themselves intensely and are steeped in Jung. and i have to say that uh, you know when i've listened to each of these uh uh interviews, I've been amazed at how well, you know, it just seemed like how well they did agree on many things about Jung and the depth. And I would learn things too from them, but Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you started this whole thing. And now that you're here at this point, after all this, what does it feel like? Did you, did you get to where you wanted? Was it, did you get somewhere where you didn't expect to be? Did you get more out of it? I mean, I'm curious what you feel about it now. Was it? Did it become more than you expected, less than you expected? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You're following
0: me? It, it gives me chills to hear you ask me that, John. It's John, right? Or is it Peter? Yeah, John. John. No, this is John.
6: Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm the guy with the stars. I'm No, sorry. it's
0: okay. Yeah, right. Oh, there you are. Um, so... I realized today that I needed to prepare. How am I going to prepare for today? How am I going to prepare for this episode? And so I I have all the episodes on my iPod, and I still use an iPod in a sound doc, Bose Sounddock. I love that thing. Um, and I started with episode one. And another reason why I did is because I can see the analytics for the website, speaking of young.com. And that episode is the third most listened to episode of all. Fifty one is episode one, huh. and I think that and the first two are the two I did with Murray Stein this year about BTS, and I I think that they probably <laughs> yeah. yeah are were so um, high ranked so high as far as. Um, how many times they were listened to because of the BTS army which are the fans of BTS so that's episode 42 and episode 44 other than that episode one with Daryl Sharp is the most listened to and that was recorded in the first one in August of 2015 when I went to Toronto and it wasn't the first time I met him I met Daryl Sharp um, when he gave a lecture for the Jung Association in Ohio in 2002, I think. Um, And then, you know, didn't see him for, what, 13 years later. So where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that everything, pretty much, pretty much everything that I wanted to accomplish by doing this podcast is contained in that episode. And I realized that when I got to the end of listening to it because I hadn't heard it in a really long time and I thought I've done 51 episodes and everything that I wanted is in that first episode oh wow
2: wow I'm going to have to re-listen to it and now. It's, you know, it's not <laughs> yeah. the, the
0: sound isn't great I use these cheap lapel microphones I, that were <laughs> uh, plugged into my iPad my iPad, um, and um. And I was with Daryl in his consultation room, and his partner, Liz Jefferson. She was sitting on the floor um right near us, and she kind of interjected a few things uh, later on um in in the in the interview and I decided to leave them in because they were very relevant, and I loved having her there um, so there's that, and then on the downside. I have struggled getting these analysts to open up because, and I've always said this, the conversations that we have before we start recording and after we stop recording are better than while we're recording. It seems like once I hit that record button, everybody gets stiff. Everybody Mm -hmm. gets careful. And When I interviewed Gary Sparks for the first time, because I've done three episodes with him, I went to his house because it's like only a three-hour drive from here in Indianapolis. We spoke for like eight or nine hours before we started recording. And by the time we started recording, that's episode two. Time we started recording, I was exhausted.
2: Mm.
0: And I was so talked out. So I don't think that's a great episode. But... If, if I'd have just recorded the conversation we had sitting on his couch, you know, that's the kind of stuff I wanted to, to get and don't feel like I really have.
6: So that's something you're over the years, you're kind of feel like that was a bit of a weakness. You didn't really get that kind of like that give and take that. Maybe what we're having now, right? Right,
0: and yeah. they know they're being recorded, so they're being careful because they're much right. different.
7: Is, yeah, is that what it is? Is it them? Is it them being defensive?
0: I think they're being. I don't know if they're being defensive. That that could be. I I tended to think that they're being careful. Uh, I, okay. Now th- another thing I haven't mentioned is I recorded two episodes that I never used one of them the analyst wanted to hear it first and she came back and said i would prefer you don't go with this because she said she wasn't comfortable with some of the things she said and confided in me that she she just wasn't comfortable with certain people hearing what she said so i didn't use it and i'm not going to go back to her And then another episode I recorded and early on and afterwards I realized this is not the direction I want this podcast to go. I wasn't, the material that she brought, um, was, was just not what I wanted and it was too early on and I didn't put it out there. So, um, Yeah, sometimes I get a little nugget of gold, but for the most part, um, it's just, it's, uh, it's just too careful. It's too careful. It's probably, it's probably
5: really, it's probably really difficult, though, to just go like, because I know when I'm in conversation with a good friend who's like, I have a good friend in Boston that sometimes Mm -hmm. I just sit down with, you know, and he's having his cigar and, You just let your mind go on tangents. And when you're being recorded, even if you can let yourself go, it's, it's, it's going to limit, you know, it's, it's a mind thing. Yeah. It's, it's going to get to you. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and depending on how easy you are with being able to let yourself go in life as in everything, you know, it, it. It's a real trick and it's not easy no, um, it's just it let, reminds, to just let yourself like, go. like, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Michael, go ahead. You're
5: um, right. Yeah. I, I was, well, uh,
7: I think you're absolutely right. In my experience, um, this, this year for the first time I've had to speak, uh, about my personal story,
2: mm-hmm.
7: um, in public. Um, and, uh, I didn't know how to do it. So the cliche is to prepare, 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 and then when you do it, don't have any notes, just trust yeah. the preparation. Yes. Mm. And, um, mm. and if you're able to be in tune to your intuition, then that 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 can work perfectly. Um, and this is something about that trust when you reach that point where you've got to w- kind of wing it <laughs> um that's amazingly powerful
5: mm-hmm. you and just also- have to trust you just you just have to mm-hmm. let go but i i don't I don't think it's an easy thing to do
7: no and if, if I thought that my talk was being recorded I may not have um yeah well I may not have enjoyed myself like, yeah. I mean we're not recording now are we this is just a warm-up so when we actually start the proper, the proper <laughs> episode, I'm, I'm, <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh Right, right, right. <laughs>
0: oh, I got distracted again. Okay. Um. Yeah. So that that's it, it. And one more thing, when you were talking, I thought of this: is maybe my expectation of what I want them to bring. Maybe they're already bringing it, and my expectation is way too high. I have to say something. I have to say that one of the things that inspired me to do this was because I moved away from my analyst and so we continued by phone. And I would call her once a week instead of driving to her office um, because I left Ohio and I moved to Chicago and I didn't want to stop. So we'd have these conversations on the phone and it, it was the analytic hour, but they turned into something more than that or something kind of different than that where we weren't sitting across from each other.
2: Right. And
0: I felt like she was teaching me things and I would take notes and I have that notebook. And I always thought, I'm going to publish this notebook one day because this notebook is gold. But (laughs) it'll probably never happen. But she... And I've never interviewed her for the podcast. She doesn't want to be interviewed. And oh, I've pretty much different. given up. Yeah, I've given up on that. Like I've given up on a lot of people and that's their prerogative. They And there's somebody else I want to mention too in just a minute. So she she doesn't want to be, but there's nobody like her. No one has, has put things the way she put things, has talked about the world and about... You know, crime and violence, and and the state of the world, and why we are the way we are, and the struggle. Nobody, I've never encountered anybody that explained it the way she she did, and I wanted that.
6: Yeah, on the podcast. That's, that's the thing about some of these analysts is they're they have so much depth because they've spent so much time you know, with themselves. I, I, I mm-hmm. mean, many of them, like I, I worked with John Beebe many, mm-hmm. many years ago. He mm-hmm. was the president of uh, the San Francisco uh, union society. Cause mm-hmm. I, I did work, you know, off and on over the years. And I think that's something that drew me to you that, you know, union uh, psychology was the, uh, just the depth and the, the awareness and the mm-hmm. richness of these people where, you know, you could almost hit any topic and and you could go down and down and yeah. down and you still don't get uh, – it's like a dream. You know, it seems – often they seem very obscure and uh, and just uh, recondite you know, and, and you, you don't know what's going on and then boom. Uh, it start. They just start coming at you, and coming at you, and it's like whoa. So, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's it's really um, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm I'm going on here, so
0: that's okay. And then I just don't uh-huh. want to forget to mention this. So uh-huh. another inspiration for the podcast was Suzanne Wagner, who uh-huh. did all of the interviews for the movie Matter of Heart, where she interviewed uh-huh. the first generation of analysts who knew Jung, like C. A. Meyer. And uh-huh. Lillian Frey Roan and Barbara Hannah Marie-Louise von uh-huh. Franz, She did all of those interviews. Uh, well, she was the interviewer. She had a team and her husband, I think. Um, so please mute your microphone if you're going to be doing yeah, some other things. So yeah, anyway, sounds- I reached out to her. I had been wanting to reach out to her since i started the podcast but i was afraid to and i wasn't ready and when i did finally get her email address and reach out to her and ask her because she's an analyst herself and she lives right. in sausalito she told me that she thanked beautiful me
6: city. yes it's a beautiful place i used to well i used to live in saint helena and we would go over to oh, sausalito. I didn't
0: know that
6: yeah saint helena john did area. you work at jpl I worked uh, for a brief period. I was at uh, Cape Canaveral just for Mm -hmm. a brief period. uh, I mean, I do have a software background. I graduated from UC Santa Cruz with honors, Mm -hmm. graduate honors in computer science. And I worked on, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. The Morph was a chess machine learning system Mm -hmm. with uh, uh, Levinson. And that was very interesting, you know, The and it kind of followed my interest in psychology, you know, AI. A lot of people that are interested in <laughs> in psychology will be interested in AI, and the, the interests often coincide. And, uh, you know, I've had several different types of jobs, and I did eventually did work at uh, Cape Canaveral very briefly. And mm-hmm. it was very, very exciting, let me tell you, at the time. Uh, it, it had... Uh, you know, I was right there working next to the VA build, building, but I wasn't any kind of, you know, like major player. I was just a software engineer mm-hmm. working on um, their uh, CLCS system, checkout launch control system for the shuttle. They they had still been launching off of the uh, old, old code, you know, this very oh, almost really? dinosaur ancient yeah. uh, software that worked, you know, right. for the Apollo missions. And, uh, you know, and they didn't want to mess with that too much, but they did want to get a much more, they did want to modernize the system. And I came in near the end of this project that that they had been working on for a while, the checkout launch control system, CLCS. This is about 20 years ago. And uh, I came in near the end of the project, and uh, it was being... um, it wasn't being managed very well and uh, mm. things just didn't work out. But yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting for me at the time. I know you're, you love to, uh, you were just down there recently, weren't I, you? It, I
0: love it there. Yeah, I was yeah. just there again. I love spending time there.
6: Uh, it's exciting. It's one it was of my exciting. favorite places. Yeah, watching, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched a, a sh- shuttle launch. No, I haven't. But it's, well, a rocket launch. It's just really amazing. I've
0: never been there for a launch. I just find that place to be so serene and beautiful and quiet. But anyway, I'm getting off track. Let me just get back to Suzanne Wagner. So I did reach out to her. She's retired now, and and her husband, George, has passed away. And she declined the interview. And at first, it made me really mad. I thought, how dare you? (laughs) I'm here (laughs) telling you that you're my idol, that... I'm doing what I'm doing because of the movie Matter of Heart, Um, because you went and interviewed all these analysts, which gave me the idea to interview all the current analysts. And now I want to talk to you about it and get you, and you're saying no. And it took me a while to process that. As you can probably hear, I'm still kind of – I'm still (sighs) –
2: well, I'm, disappointed.
0: I'm disappointed i'm yeah. disappointed but i respect well, the fact that she's retired and she doesn't want to mm. open that up she's done and that's okay
6: kind of reminds it, me of what michael said just earlier is that you you know despite the fact that you're you're gonna suffer rejections you still manage to get 50 analysts and some of the best i mean James hollis you've had on three times and that guy's no <laughs> yeah, you smell small potatoes, you know. And, and uh, some of the analysts you've had on are pretty, mm-hmm. pretty remarkable. I mean, you got to give yourself credit for that. I mean, yeah. well, like yeah. I said, I
0: I need to be interested in in them and in what they have to say. And there's some out there that are big names, but I'm just not. I'm just not feeling it right now. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just. I don't know. I'm just not interested in them at this moment. But mm. the ones that I am interested in, when I reach out to them and they say no, I i mean, I get it. They don't want to. And for whatever reason. Yeah. For whatever reason. But there are some who have said yes, and I went ahead. I've gotten so far as to publicize that they were mm. next up or going to be kind on.
6: Your situation kind of reminds me of an antidote with uh, Napoleon. Napoleon was, uh, you know, he had had a major victory and Ney was with him and they were parading through the streets of Paris and all the crowd was, cra- you know, just cheering, cheering Napoleon, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, Ney said, look at this, you're so popular. And, and uh, Napoleon said to Ney, uh, he said to me, uh, "Oh, they'd be cheering me just as loudly if I was on my way to the gallows." You mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's just it's kind of like uh, you can't let um, you kind of have to do. I guess it's kind of an antidote for you kind of have to do your own thing, you yeah. know. And uh, and uh, you know, Jung was remarkably. Good at doing that. I mean, he he literally was the supposed to be the crown prince. Prince to you know, Freud Freud, wanted him mm -hmm. following his footsteps, and Freud even to this day is still admired and followed, and has a strong you know strong foiling. And during that time, and yet Jung, Carl Jung, walked away from it all based on a dream that he had, and uh, and he lost a lot of his friends and acquaintances. So you know, you got to. You have to be strong in your. Um, yeah. You have to be strong. <laughs> yeah, I would say. I mean, be strong. Remind I yourself think. of the good things that you've. You know, the, all the the good analysts that you have spoken to, and and you kind of have to. Go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry.
7: No, I'm. I'm just thinking that. Um, uh, what 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 I'm hearing,
2: mm-hmm.
7: Laura say as well is that there's this root, the root of the project,
2: mm-hmm.
7: was. From this woman, and it feels like I'm feeling rejection from the the, um, the, the thing that the person that inspired you originally yeah. didn't right didn't didn't back you when you needed it to
5: yeah
7: <laughs> yeah uh, and that and that must have felt pretty rough oh, and yeah. it sounds like you still you still yeah, still yeah but
0: it. but the uh, thank you for acknowledging that yeah you're right it does and should say and instead of but I. <laughs> Yeah, I I can respect her. Just being, yeah. she's just done and doesn't want to
2: yeah.
0: rehash that anymore. And I waited too long. I think maybe if I'd have reached out to her four years ago, it would have been a different answer. So, uh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. So, mm. um, moving on. I don't know what the future will hold. I've already gotten a couple more rejects rejections recently, and so.
6: Um, Do you yeah. plan on changing the format at all? I mean, are no are you going to You're going to keep the same format? Interesting, because it sounded like you might want to no. make it a little more casual in the no. future. No. Well,
0: no, I mean, it, I I would like it to be casual, it, but what mm. they bring is
2: the they're the, they're themselves.
0: The, Most mm. of them are quite academic. Somebody right. like my analyst who is not at all academic she's not a lecturer or professor um she does have a book out i for some reason she doesn't want to talk about it so she is all about how do you apply jung in your daily life and daryl sharp is a lot like that too and his books are they're not academic you know he mm. doesn't have a phd she doesn't have a phd so can i yeah
7: so yeah i've tried to say something um I think what's really interesting for me, in in, even just in in this conversation, is um, uh, I had um, three or four years of psychoanalytic psychotherapy, but it was nothing to do with Jung. It was wholly, wholly separate. Okay. Um, And uh, the. One of the reasons I perhaps am fascinated by these conversations about Jung is how different Jung and analysts seem to be to the analyst I had.
2: Oh, okay.
7: <laughs> um, uh, and they seem to be such these big personalities, and you're interviewing people who have all this knowledge,
2: mm-hmm. um,
7: and yet my my experience of my uh, psycho, I'm not sure what the right word, but psycho, mm-hmm. psycho-, 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 psycho- psych- therapist psychotherapist um, was silence you know uh, mostly silence um with then some guidance very 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 light guidance but mostly mm. encouraging me to think to do my own work right. and analyze yeah. my own dreams and uh my interpretation was the best interpretation and she could offer things as well and she could show me how to do it um and I'm just i suppose I'm just mentioning it because um uh why am i mentioning i suppose i'm mentioning That's it because brilliant. i I feel really? a little bit on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the outside of a lot of what happens in the Jungian conversations, and that's mm-hmm. okay as well. <laughs> yeah.
5: The silence. Everything's okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and the silence to that that kind of pushes you or forces you to do it yourself. And yeah, and not bring somebody else's psychology into it.
7: Uh, The for for me with the um the type of therapy I experienced, Mm -hmm. um I learned through what I brought to the silence, yeah, the things I thought she felt and things I thought she was saying Mm -hmm. was what I was really thinking and saying, and it was very practical. Um, it's a very practical thing
0: for me. I love that. Interesting. Excellent. The opposite of advice. You have yeah, and no, sto-
7: no stories, no history, very light. Like I don't even know exactly what methods she was practicing.
2: Mm-hmm. And when I
7: would ask her, she'd not want to tell me. I I could have pushed her, but you kind of felt that it didn't matter. It Didn't matter.
2: Right.
7: Mm. Um, did which you... is a, a very, feels like a different experience to a Jungian analysis. Actually.
6: How much did you work with dreams? Did you work with dreams?
7: Quite a bit, or yeah.
6: was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but completely. she would
5: make mostly let you look at your dreams. I guess but, the very, the didn't, but didn't Jung what, like didn't he mention that the dreamer themselves is the authority on the dream? Mm-hmm. Like how they felt.
0: Your associations. About
5: it? Yes, because your own your own feeling.
0: Not somebody else's interpretation. But even the analyst. Like not that, that the, like, not that
5: the that analyst happens. isn't yeah. Yeah, so I talking. think that, you're right. That I works until you're right. That works until Sorry, you're right with someone
4: who is in denial about their own issues. And then it's kind of funny watching how their subconscious will present the same message to them over <laughs> and over again in different ways, <laughs> and they're not listening. Because yeah. I've so- seen that happen in a group environment more than once. It, it's, uh, it's remarkable mm-hmm. seeing that's, over time the same message presented in different ways.
6: Well, that's happened to when Jung broke up with Freud. He had this dream of Freud as a peevish customs official, and at that time, he he was too afraid of Freud because he was this. He looked up to Freud for all these ideas and everything, and then his unconscious was telling him, "No, this guy's a peevish old custom officials at the time." So that's yeah, that's that uh, dreams can do that. To you. Uh, so.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, I am going to hmm. wrap this up here. Laura, um, can I say something? Yeah, I wanted. as I was going to ask for last call here.
4: Um, I want to take a moment to talk about what I see as some of the barriers keeping a lot of people from young.
0: Okay. First,
4: for, first is that it seems to be not so easy for the average person to discover young.
2: Mm. And
4: then if they do and they want to learn more or if they want to get into analysis, then they run into at least one of two problems, if not both. There aren't Youngian resources near them or there are. And they're too expensive. We all know how, mm. how hard it is to, and how expensive, and, and how much in demand you know young Ian analysts are. Um, and all this is to say that in this internet age, where we all know about using YouTube to learn how to replace the belt on your on your dryer, uh, I just wanted to just give you some props and just say you've accomplished something remarkable mm. by creating this free resource for people who want to learn more about young, but might live too far away to Mm -hmm. pursue analysis on their own and Mm -hmm. or they can't afford it Mm -hmm. of course i don't mean to suggest that your podcast is a substitute for analysis Mm -hmm. but it's better than nothing yeah so if i may be so bold on behalf of all these listeners these seekers that are using speaking for speaking of young to help them with their growth i just want to thank you for all the hard work you've done because you you. have done a lot of work and i think there's lots of people that you're helping that you never hear from yeah i think and yeah, i think that's I
6: great think that's that you provide this true. resource thank so, I just you. Thank so that's you. something yeah thank you for saying yeah. that
0: that's what it's for um because i had the privilege of being in analysis for a long time and i know that a lot of people can't um i i just want to say please to everybody listening please do not let money stop you that most analysts will work with you most if you tell them Uh, my analyst used to say, I have never turned anyone away over money. So, uh, and and I did an episode about money. I think it was with Jim Bauer. So uh, that said, it's not an easy thing to do. Analysis is not an easy thing to do. And it's not for everybody. And it's, it's about timing too. Like somebody was saying earlier. Um, And I, yeah, I created the podcast so that it's something. It's something that people will have, an, an alternative to pop psychology, which I can't stand. So it's out there. And um, I hope that... You, you
4: know, I think it's remarkable. You've, uh, you, you've created a resource. You've distributed across so many different platforms that can't help but endure. Even if you stopped right now, what you've accomplished is remarkable. And it's a Thank treasure... You. That people are going to benefit from for decades to come. I think it's great work. Thank you. It's great work.
0: Thank you. And it was really important to me to put it out there for free to not charge for it and to not have any advertising. And I'm sorry for pushing sometimes uh, Amazon and um, the Young Society of Washington, D.C. I do make a profit on selling um, not subscriptions, but they they have uh, video courses, and that money does help. Speaking of young, when somebody purchases the class, and also shopping on Amazon, I do get commission on that. It's very small, very yeah, very but that's
4: small. great. Sustainability is critical, though.
0: Yeah, I shouldn't apologize for that.
4: Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all.
0: So, thank you to everybody who uh, clicks on the links and then makes a purchase on Amazon. You don't have to buy the thing. That the link is for. It's anything you purchase on Amazon once you click the link um, in pretty much every country. So that's helpful. And thank you for the kind words. And I'll keep doing it as long as I can. And thank you for listening. Does anybody else have anything
5: to add? I would just like to say that, uh, to put it succinctly, you've created something of value. Thank you. Hey. Absolutely.
6: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. I love you. Guys. Thank you. Thank you,
6: Laura. We
4: love you, yeah. I
7: love, love you, too.
0: Please visit the website, SpeakingOfYoung, that's J-U-N-G dot com, for more information on this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And you can listen on your Amazon Echo device simply by saying, Alexa, play Speaking of Jung on TuneIn. Be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. You can help support Speaking of Jung at no extra cost to you simply by shopping at Amazon.com through any of the book links on our website, or by registering through our links for any of the online video courses offered by the Young Society of Washington, D.C. You can start these courses anytime, go at your own pace, and you'll have lifetime access to the material. A new course has been added this week, Creating a Life, Living in the Intersection of Fate, character and choice with Jungian analyst Dr. James Hollis. You can save 25% by clicking on the link in the show notes. This early bird price ends December 25th. With special thanks to all of our longtime listeners. This is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung.